welcome to episode 40 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. Hey, Chris. What's up? Not much. I've just been jamming a ton, maybe an unhealthy amount of Dominaria Limited. Mostly draft, <laughs> but I did some, did some seals until draft started. Nice, so, nice. Well, yeah. that's a good sign for the limited format if you can't get away from it. It's fun. It's really fun. It's a nice, like, complete change of pace from from Ixalan and, and Rivals draft. It's, you know, kind of back to basics magic almost. Like, the colors do kind of the things that the, the colors are kind of supposed to do. You know, blue has flying creatures and... Uh, green has big guys and tokens and and it, it just feels like magic um the the main problem that i've had with it so far is that like red is pretty underpowered uh definitely super underpowered and sealed but also kind of underpowered and draft like the commons are just very shallow sure. um, so that may that may be enough to like keep this out of the you know, Hall of Fame of, of limited formats. But there are lots of fun things to do. And I've done a bunch of the, the like, bucket list things that I had going into this format already. And, I, and <laughs> I'm just, like, discovering more as I go along that I want to do. So, Excellent. So, so it's Excellent. fun. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I have been focusing less on limited and more on standard, actually. Um, at, yeah. SCG Atlanta is coming up this weekend. It's a team event. I'm playing standard alongside my teammates Becky Adelman and Hunter Nance. Um, oh, cool. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but yeah, I've been prepping a lot of prepping a lot of standards, kind of like getting a feel for the new format, seeing what people are doing. Still kind of like in the midst of all that. Don't really have any solid conclusions to draw at this point. I mean, we're literally like two days into the format, so... Yeah, yeah. It feels like longer than that, because I've been grinding I've been grinding pretty hard on you know, what, what's going on, but... But yeah, you know, we'll we'll see what's going on. I'll have, I'm sure I'll have it figured out by at some point. And we'll definitely have to get pretty pretty deep into it because I I have a, a GP coming up. I mean, maybe a GP. You know, maybe I X in one day one of the legacy GP at Birmingham. But uh, oh, if sure. that doesn't happen, then then I've got a standard GP coming up. So nice, nice. Probably shouldn't shouldn't waste too much time before we get into the second half of our Dominaria constructed set review. Uh, Unless oh, you yeah. Anything particularly pressing? No. Let's get into it. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we should thank our patrons. Uh, as a matter of course, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Uh, anybody who wants to become a patron, uh, you know, show is always free, but, you know, we, we definitely value your support. It's super helpful to us. So hit us up at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. But, uh, yeah, so content. We are going to continue using the same kind of rating scale that we did last week. We had some discussion in the Patreon Discord about like what is the most helpful way to do it. And I think for now we're still going to stick with, you know, giving letter grades to the cards just as sort of the dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But it's really, you know, listen to our words and then if you really need a letter grade, like we'll, we'll add one on at the end. But that's not the important part. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've got our A's, our format-defining cards, like your Glorybringers, your Scarab Gods, that really make the format what it is. Your B's are sort of like consistent format presence cards. So, you know, a Braid and Walking Ballista were the examples we gave last week. 
Seas are like role playing cards. They can be very, very good, very important in some type of deck, but you know, you're only going to play them in specific decks. So cards like Earthshaker, Kenner, and Winding Constrictor are, are Cs. Ds are more speculative cards. They might be good depending on how the format shakes out. And they might, you know, find a very narrow place or they might just never really see play at all. So these are cards like Struggle to Survive, Ripjaw Raptor that really need like a specific meta to, to be good. And then our Fs are bad cards that people have hyped up and we want to try to bring everybody down to earth. So, you know... <laughs> Yeah. That that was old growth dryads. You know, we'll try to come up with a different example. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it'll be after this block, but we'll find something. So this this week, this episode, we're going over the red cards, the green cards, and then the multicolored, uh, colorless, and and land cards. So we will kick things off with red. Uh, and I think uh, if we're gonna keep going in order, I guess it's your turn to read the cards. Oh yeah! All right. So we're starting off red with a removal spell. It's Fight with Fire. It's three mana sorcery, so two in a red. And it has Kicker for five in a red. It says, Fight with Fire deals five damage to target creature. If this spell was kicked, it deals ten damage divided as you choose them in, among any number of targets instead. So essentially, you can spend three mana to deal five damage to a creature. Which is, like, fine. It's, like, a good rate. The one card that this kills that I'm not sure any other red card can kill as easily is Lyra, the the new 5-5 five, five for 5 flying lifelink angel. Yep. So this is, like, a, a decent answer to that card. And I expect it to start seeing a lot more play the more play that R- Lyra sees. Because Lyra is definitely a card that, like, the, these red decks are going to struggle pretty hard against. You know, the, it's it's a five toughness, five power lifelinker, which is, you know, pretty brutal for those decks to deal with. And this seems like a, a decent answer to that card. Um, and it also has the upside of, like, nine mana. You can deal ten damage to your opponent's face, uh, which is, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> I don't expect that to come up a lot in, in any deck that's trying to run Fight with Fire, unless, like, some, you know, Hour of Promise ramp deck picks it up, but... Um, right. It's definitely an interesting card, and uh, I think that its its playability is definitely going to be dependent on how popular Lyra becomes. Yeah, and that's that's the reason that it like made this list of playable cards is it is really the only red answer to Lyra Dawnbringer. But it that upside I think is relatively real. Like it's not impossible to get to nine mana. Like if you just get a little flooded and you have a Chandra, like you yeah, could, you that'll could be do at it. Nine mana. Right. Um, also, you know, if Jaya Ballard is playable, she gives you three red, uh, and that, that can get you there in some sort of big red deck, um, and this may be like a go-to removal spell for a big red style deck, but the the main reason that this card is, is relevant is, yeah, it's the, the only clean answer, really, that red decks have for Lyra Dawnbringer, and, and that's, I think, the main role that it'll serve, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like a fine removal spell against other stuff, too. It kills Glorybringer, it kills a bunch of stuff. So, sure. it's not bad. It, it basically reads destroy target creature, three mana sorcery speed. Like, it doesn't yes. kill Gear Hulk, and I'm not thinking of a lot else that it doesn't kill. So. Like, a, you know, it doesn't kill Carnage Tyrant, but neither does any other. Well, neither, spell, so. neither does. <laughs> right. If it just said destroy target creature, it still wouldn't. So. Yeah, it would still be the same. So, that's, that's fine. So, yeah, uh, I think that this is definitely a, a role player. I, I'd give it a C. 
Sure. You know, I don't think that any removal spell is really gonna. Well, that's not true. Like it, it could be. I, I don't think it's as good of a removal spell to be considered a B. I don't but either. I, I think that it's definitely going to be a role player if if people identify that they just need an answer to a specific threat. So next up, we have a saga. It's a three mana saga, two and a red. The first, you know, honestly, I'm not really sure how to <laughs> how to describe sagas at this point. The first lore counter, <laughs> the first ability. Maybe we should we should pick something and stick with it. Um, so the first ability on this is. Uh, the first eruption deals one damage to each creature without flying. So it comes into play and it pings everybody on the ground for one. The second ability is it adds two red mana to your mana pool. And the third ability is you sacrifice a mountain. If you do, the first eruption deals three damage to each creature. So this is kind of like a weird sweeper effect, I guess you would say. Where, like, if you're playing it, maybe if you're playing against, like, a token strategy, you'd want this to be able to, like, deal one to everything and potentially kill a couple of things. And then two turns later, deal three to everything and kill a bunch more things. But it definitely suffers from the, like, the sweeper, like, the sweeper that, like, is on delay so that your opponent can see it and play around it and stuff. Right. Um, Although at least the first sweeping part of it happens immediately. happens immediately right right yeah this is one of those weird cards that i think you kind of have to use all the parts of the buffalo to make it work and the yeah. parts are so different that that can be kind of tough like yeah, it ramps yeah. you and then it kills one of your lands right uh, <laughs> yeah so that's so strange like yeah when i when i first read this card i was very confused about really what it was trying to accomplish it feels all over the place honestly um, Yeah, i mean i think I think kind of the the default assumption is like put this in a dinosaur's deck like get some enraged yeah. triggers and the like cast your carnage tyrant on turn four and and maybe that works i don't i probably this is just like a weird sideboard card that i also misread this at first i thought that the third one was you may sacrifice a mountain if you do then it deals three but you have to sacrifice the mountain if you have a mountain so right. you don't get yeah. a choice there uh, so it, it de-ramps you automatically. And that's that's a little tough that you don't get too much flexibility there. Yeah, the, it, it's weird because your your ramp curve with this card is 3 to 6 the next turn to, to 4 again. To like 4, yeah. Right, on turn 5. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's strange for sure. But, you know, there's going to be all kinds, of, all kinds of go wide decks in this format. So probably like answers to go wide decks of all types are gonna be worth consideration true but it feels so strange to play this card when we have such an excellent deal one damage to all of your yeah. opponent's dudes yep. uh, that we're gonna talk about in a minute <laughs> right so um, this one is definitely very so, speculative i mean this is this is a d yeah. for sure yeah speculative maybe there's some weird scenario where yeah you want to like trigger enrage stuff but that feels like a limited mechanic more than anything i don't know yeah I, I'd, I'd probably go with the d next up we have another saga this one's a two mana saga the first ability is discard your hand strong the second ability is draw two cards okay and then the last ability is if a red source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player this turn it deals that much damage plus two to that permanent or player instead yeah so there's some power here i mean it in an aggressive enough deck, if you're really dumping your hand, like this can draw a couple of cards, and then that that turn where 
if a red source would deal damage it deals extra damage like there's a lot of cards that that's i mean it's great with just attacking with guys but like imagine casting the next card on this list goblin chain whirler on your your flame of keld turn that's yeah that's, that's pretty sweet. three damage to all of your opponents dudes and them so that's yeah. pretty nuts for sure yeah so yeah this card has a lot of things going on and specifically it synergizes really well with a lot of cards that the mono red decks are already playing such as uh bomat courier and uh, Hazaret. These are both cards that incentivize you to discard your hand um, as quickly as you can. And so the Flame of Keld is like, all right, I got a bunch of clunkers right now. Let's get these out of here so that we can start getting the beats in. Or, you know, we can just like play this, attack with Bowmat Courier, and then just pop it, and then have like a bunch of cards going into your next turn, which mm-hmm. is pretty strong. So it's it's definitely interesting. I just don't, to me, it doesn't seem quite powerful enough to want to put in my mono red decks it suffers from the problem of not really doing anything impactful the turn it comes into play it also suffers from the problem of being slightly too situational so i for me i just don't think that this makes the cut in any any red deck right now yeah and i just i don't i don't disagree certainly i i and i think one of the huge problems with it is if you ever draw two then you're automatically losing one of them you you can't cast them both and that that's really bad and yeah it's just like kind of clunky like it needs to be the last thing you draw like it just makes those like double hazard hands even worse like if you draw two hazards and a flame of keld like that's terrible and that that's just a tough spot to be in like i would probably if i were just brewing and could play lots and lots of games i might like try slotting one into a red deck and and seeing how it goes from there but I don't think it's important enough to like make a huge deal out of. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards an F on this one, actually. But I could just be misevaluating it entirely, and it, it could just be like pretty strong in a lot of scenarios. Because it definitely has that potential upside. So maybe we can go with a D. Yeah, I, I suppose a D. I wouldn't be surprised if this never saw play. But And especially right now, just the red deck has so many options to choose from. And this is not one of the strongest ones. So it's it's hard for me to see this fitting in there. The next card is is definitely much more exciting. It's uh, Goblin Chain Whirler. So it's triple red for a 3-3 first strike. When Goblin Chain Whirler enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control. Yeah, that's a card. On first glance, it might look a little underwhelming, but it really does a whole lot in this format. There are a surprising number of one-toughness creatures in this format, and just the fact that it has first strike is really relevant. Like, the body that it presents is pretty annoying to to interact with for, for most decks. And it also has the upside of, like, you know, being able to, like, just plunge with your creatures, and then your opponent has to kind of make blocks with the consideration that you could play a goblin chain whirler and deal an additional point of damage to the rest of their guy right right all these creatures that sort of like match up perfectly against the red deck now if they block their you know your your x3 that you're trying to block a an earthshaker kenra with like it's just it's gonna die if you if you make that block and aren't careful about it so yeah that like that's a that's a huge use for it right yeah and I, so I've been playing a lot of uh, mono green, actually, on, on Magic Online the past couple of days. 
And playing against the red decks, they've definitely made a lot of attacks that I'm just like, man, if they have a Chain Whirler here, I'm just really screwed. Because, <laughs> uh, like, I have all these, like, three and four toughness dudes, right? And I feel so safe. But as soon as I just, like, you know, block their Scrap Heap Scrounger with, like, my 3-4 or whatever, and they have a Chain Whirler, then it's just really bad for me. So, you know, it's definitely it's definitely a strong one. Uh, it cleans up a lot of things. It kills Land of War Elves. It kills Bomac Couriers. It kills bunch of x1s it kills the backside of a phoenix tokens yep yeah yeah so just like a bunch of stuff so i think that this card is really strong and it's definitely going to see play in in these red decks you do have to sacrifice a little bit on your utility lands in the red deck the red deck really liked to play some number of like scavenger grounds or some other like deserts that were kind of more utility and you do honestly i think that might be I think that might be saving the red mages from themselves a little bit, though, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could like, be, it could be. Like, you've had those hands where you you can't cast a two-drop and a shock on your third turn because you have two colorless lands in play. Like, yeah. And, you know, building your deck, like, yes, you lose some ability to scavenger grounds and, and whatnot, but I, I think overall, like, you gain some of that back just by always being able to cast your spells the way you want to. You yeah. might not gain all of it back, but it's not, like, a complete sacrifice to go all mountains, so... Right. And the other thing about this card is that I've... When I was deck building a lot for the initial standard, I, I kept on having to think about, yeah, but this token deck seems great, but I just can't ever beat a Goblin Chain Whirler. So that kind of almost, in my mind, pushes it up to a format-defining card, where it's just a card that you have to be thinking about when building decks right now. So this guy could... He could just get an A from me. Yeah, I, I think this might be, you know, one of the, like, three most important cards in the set for Standard. I mean, it, it, it has that, that Rampaging Ferocidon feel to it, where it, like, patches up a bunch yes. of the weaknesses of the red deck... And the body is actually, like, way more, you know, it, it's way more on rate than you kind of think by looking at the card. And it's just right. very efficient and, and does the thing you need it to do. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm a fan of this card. I think it's really strong. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give it an A. Yeah, I'm um, fine with that. You know, and we'll see how it plays out, but we'll see. Two, two minor points. Uh, the first one is don't forget about the interaction with uh, Soulscar Mage. Oh, uh, yeah. It just puts a minus one, minus one counter on your opponent's team. Um, and also, uh, I think this might see some play outside of just the uh, super aggressive mono red decks. It seems quite good, potentially, in more of a, a big red sort of deck as well. We're in a big enough format. There are enough cards, and there are enough great red cards, and along with cards like, like Treasure Map and stuff that a more mid-range red deck could potentially see some play, especially with some of the tools from this set. And Goblin Chain Whirler is really cool in a deck like that because it means you don't have to be pointing, like, a braids and stuff at their X1s or even their, like, X3s that they're attacking you with. It just kind of shuts down the ground in a defensive deck, and that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, I agree. It, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a, a pretty strong one moving forward. This next Goblin, though, a little less excited about, unfortunately, even though I want to be more excited about it. The next one is Goblin Warchief. So he's a 3-mana 2-2, so 1 red-red. He says, Goblin spells you cast cost 1 less to cast, and goblins you control have haste. So at one point, a legacy all-star. Right, at one point, a legacy all-star. <laughs> but now, we just don't have the tools right now in standard to make a good goblin stack, 
and this guy really is only going to fit in in kind of like a mono goblin strategy it feels like so you, you're not going to want to play this guy in just like any old deck that's playing a couple of goblins you really want you really want his ability to be maximized by just you know maxing out on the number of goblins you can play so that you can dump your hand much faster and give them all haste and right now i just i just am not seeing that be the case in in standard unfortunately yeah and unfortunately i don't i don't know that it has a spot in the modern goblin decks either even the sort of combo-y ones i think they're trying to do things a little bit faster they can't really afford to play a three mana two two to enable their their combo-y stuff um modern right. is just pretty hostile to that sort of body and, and mana cost like like you can't really do that in a lightning bolt and fatal push with Fetchlands format so i i think this guy is going to see a, a lot less play this time around um it might be a plant you know there might be so many goblins in the next set or two that standard sees the the need for goblin warchief but yeah. Certainly right now, no play in standard, and I don't think it fits into the stuff that you're trying to do with goblins in modern. Yeah, agreed. So as much as it pains me, current standard rating is an F. But yeah. potentially later on, it could just, you know, we could just see a bunch of new goblins in the format, and uh, and he's going to be great. It just needs a, a couple extra cards. I mean, like... Goblin Matron is the thing that makes cards... You know, if we got Goblin Matron and Goblin Ringleader so that the cost lowering, like, is affecting multiple goblins per turn, like, that's what made Goblin Warchief really good. So if we can get weird effects like that, then that's what makes this card into a thing. We just don't have that right now. Right, right, Either, right. either exactly. in Standard or Modern, so... All right, next up we've got a Planeswalker. This one's Jaya Ballard. So it's it's a five mana, five loyalty planeswalker, two triple red. The plus is add three mana, three red mana to your mana pool, uh, with the caveat that you have to spend this mana only to cast instant or sorcery spells. There's another plus one that says discard up to three cards, then draw that many cards. And the ultimate is minus eight. You get an emblem with you may cast instant and sorcery cards from your graveyard. If a card cast this way would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. So, I mean, this is like a card that appeals to me in pretty much that big red style deck only. That's the only place where I really would want this. And, you know, if you are able to, whether through removal or gumming up the board with cards like Goblin Chain Whirler, maybe Siege Gang Commander, something like that, and then get this get this card down and just sculpt your hand adding three red mana to cast instants and sorceries can be a really big game like she can come down and cast a sweeper that turn you can or or even just a removal spell do the old old chandra trick but also you know three mana is enough to deal three to all creatures and that's potentially pretty good but you know there aren't a lot of homes for this card that costs triple red mana is a five mana planeswalker doesn't defend herself unless you have the right card in your hand and i think a lot of the spots where you might consider jaya ballard uh chandra is already like taking up a lot of that real estate yeah i'm gonna be pretty hard pressed to be playing jaya while chandra torch of defiance is in the format just because i feel like chandra does everything that this card does just cheaper and more efficiently but you know i could definitely see a point 
like similar to Goblin Warchief, where like later on in the format when Chandra's rotated out and there's a big red deck that really wants some big planeswalker to give the deck some good looting ability and potentially, you know, mana efficiency or whatever. But I don't know, the problem that I see with Jaya right now is that it really is like heavily dependent on you having access to a lot of instants and sorceries. Mm-hmm. And I want my big red decks to be filled with like glory bringers and phoenixes and like beaters, right? Um, I don't really want to be playing this like you know mono burn spell control game as much as I want to have like you know powerful threats to land. Maybe in the future that won't be the case anymore, and we'll just like have a ton of of burn spells to be able to use, but. I don't know. The, it, just the way that I'm seeing everything play out, Jaya doesn't seem like she's going to fit in too well. Yeah, I think it's a pretty tough ask. And I like I, I like this card, and I, want, I, I would be happy if there were a home for it. I was really disappointed that there was no Hordling Outburst reprint or, you know, <laughs> yeah. effective reprint, because yeah. that, that would be a nice that, thing. Because that would be really there. sweet. Yeah. yeah. But that does not exist so I'm not really seeing a home for her right now, especially while Chandra is legal. Like, you just have to have some very specific requirements for your, your Planeswalker in order to be playing this over Chandra, and I don't even really know what those are, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd probably give this maybe a D. Yeah. D because I'm hopeful, but, yeah. but it, it's, but it's probably, probably not for a while. At probably least. just not going to see much play. So probably might be more in the F category. The the one card that like kind of makes me want this card, but honestly still doesn't even make me want it more than Chandra, is this next card on the list. <laughs> true, true, yeah. So the next card on the list is Jaya's Immolating Inferno. So it's a legendary sorcery, So which means you can only cast it if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. The casting cost is X red red. Jaya's Immolating Inferno deals X damage to each of up to three targets. So this card has potential to be really powerful. It's it's essentially a you know a pre-tripled fireball, uh, and it can go upstairs, which is you know pretty pretty important to note. So you can like you know kill two of your opponent's creatures and dome your opponent for a lot, or just like kill three of your opponent's creatures. Definitely has a lot going for it. The problem is that it is a legendary sorcery. I've been thinking a lot about legendary sorceries in general and just like whether or not I think that they have the potential to be playable at all. And <laughs> honestly, right now, my current answer is probably not. You know, having a spell that you can only cast if you have a good creature or planeswalker in play already is typically a pretty big ask and feels pretty win more in my mind. And as powerful as Jaya's Immolating Inferno is, the fact that it's a legendary sorcery is just such a huge downside in my mind that I really don't know if it's something that I am going to want to put in any deck in Constructed. Yeah, and especially because, like, it's one of your face burn spells, which g- gives you hope after they've cleared your board, and you're like, well, I've got them to four. All I need to draw- do is draw four points worth of burn. Right. And this is not, this doesn't work if you yeah. don't already have a board. And, you draw so, this card and are very sad. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's pretty, that's a pretty miserable place to be. One thing that it does have going for it is that red in standard has a pretty high number of 
playable legendary creatures. I don't know that this sort of X spell can be in a deck with Hazarets, but I mean, you've got Carrie's Evs, you've got Captain Lannery Storm, if you're in sort of a treasure red, you know, more mid-rangey kind of thing, which is probably the kind of deck that a card like this belongs in. Um, yeah. Still, even if you have like 14 legendary creatures in your deck, like even a card that like requires you to have a creature in play is like kind of demanding and then this one requiring you to have a, a specific creature in play and maybe warp your deck around it may just not be strong enough to to make me want to fulfill those requirements yeah so i'm pretty hesitant on this maybe it's like fine enough if you have karizevs and lanary storms and chandras and hazrets and like all these things are like powerful legendary cards and you're just kind of like probably going to have one sticking around. You know, I could see potential there, right? But yeah, I'm, I'm just pretty hesitant to uh, to, to want to do anything with that. So yeah. for me, this is going to be more of a speculative card. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a D. That sounds fine to me. Next up, we've got Shivan Fire. So <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When I first read this, I thought that it was just going to be a Burst Lightning reprint. And I was super excited. Unfortunately, it's not quite that. Uh, it's very similar. So it's a it's a single red instant with kicker four. It deals two damage to target creature. If this spell is kicked, it deals four damage to that creature instead. So this is literally burst lightning that can't go face, and yeah. it's still probably good enough for a standard. Oh, if, absolutely. If, if you want it, so so that's how good burst lightning was in standard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right, shiv and fire. I think is definitely going to be a a pretty big. A pretty big role player, but I, I I would even go so far as to say that it's going to have constant format presence. So you know, it's just it's just really efficient. It's going to be able to kill a turn one land of war elf. It's going to be able to you know remove a creature efficiently along the curve. It could potentially later on kill a glory bringer or you know something along those lines, which is like insane for your shock, right? Right. Um, There's there are no cards that remove Bowmat courier on curve and can also remove. Glorybringer. Like, that is curve, no yeah. other card in standard does that, and this card does it. So, yeah. that's that's special. Right. Uh, so, this to me is a solid B. I think yeah. that it's going to be, you know, seeing a lot of play. And I mean, similar to, similar to Black, like, it's just going to require some very careful deck construction when you're building your mid-range deck and choosing your removal suite. Like, which ones are the ones that are correct for that weekend? Um, and sometimes you're going to want Magma Sprays, and sometimes you're going to want Shivan Fires. I mean, maybe right. maybe Shivan Fire is enough better than Magma Spray that you're just, like, over Magma Spray completely at this point. But, I mean, there's times where that Exile effect is just way more important. So, yeah. you know, there's there's just a big old stack of removal, and you got to be picking the best ones. Shivan Fire might just be the, the right choice a lot of the time, because that flexibility is so powerful. Definitely. So imagine if this went face. Like, yeah. what a card. I mean, if, if this went face, then I'd probably just be putting four in all my red decks, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, as it stands, you, you don't want to really flood on this effect, so you, you can be more safe to go, like, I don't know, three or two or something. But, yeah, I, I definitely expect this to be a card that sees a lot of play moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's fun. Next up, we have Siege Gang Commander. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. Um, also, yeah. Uh, I. So, okay. So this is a, it's a five mana, two, two goblin. Three red, red. When Siege Gang Commander enters the battlefield, create three, one, one red goblin creature tokens. 
Uh, it also has the ability, one into red, sacrifice a goblin, Siege Gang Commander deals two damage to any target. So, when I saw this printed, I was super excited that we were going to be able to have access to Siege Gang Commander. You know, because he's just kind of like the quintessential, powerful, big red card, right? You know, he does a lot, he creates a lot of bodies, he can throw bodies around, generally pretty flexible. But kind of the more that I've seen how he stacks up against the other big threats in the format, he actually just doesn't really line up that well against the other, like, big red creatures. He doesn't compete terribly well with, like, a Glorybringer. He doesn't compete very well against just kind of, like, a lot of the other, like, big stuff floating around. So I've been... Despite my initial excitement, I've been kind of underwhelmed with how he's played out in Standard to the point where I actually don't think that he belongs in any, like, Monsters deck or Mono Red deck. I just don't think that he's the top end that you're looking for there. We have so many other, like, excellent options that are just going to be better than Siege Gang Commander. The one deck that I really like Siege Gang Commander in, though, is actually the God Pharaoh's Gift decks. The... Yeah. The blue-red Godfarer's Gift deck kind of already has this, like, weird beat-down sub-plan of, like, you know, you're playing a bunch of Fanatical Firebrands and Bomek Couriers and, you know, some games you're just trying to, like, beat your opponent down. Also having access to the combo element of, you know, being able to just kind of derp your opponent out with infinite combat steps or whatever. And Siege Gang Commander, I think, really goes well in that slot because he's, like, a powerful creature that you can discard to get back with your God Pharaoh's Gift if you're just kind of, like, trying to stall. Or if you're trying to buy time to when you can set up your your combo turn effectively, uh, Siege Gang Commander does an excellent job at just kind of, like, buying time against your opponent. So I think that he really goes well in that strategy. So I think that he is definitely going to be seeing some standard play because I think that those Godfather gift decks are super, super strong. But in terms of him just like being another really, really key finisher or whatever, he's just kind of doesn't stack up. Um, yeah. I think that the, the power creep has got, gotten a little over his head a little bit in terms of just like the, the, the big guys that we're, that we're playing with. So that's kind of like my my initial thoughts i guess on that yeah i i think i i think that's mostly right um i think there are spots where you know like this gives decks like the monsters deck some adaptability like the thing that i hate about the monsters deck is that like if the format is all vraska's contempts like your cards just don't line up well against that but then if after board you can be like a bunch of siege gang commanders and carnage tyrants against the Vraska's contempt decks, that might be a thing. But yeah, I, I don't think that just like play in it is the best use of this card anymore. I don't think that we're I don't think its power level is quite high enough compared to the other things you can do for five mana. But I think because of the nature of the card, because it's a creature with a powerful comes into play effect and it can sacrifice itself, it lends itself to a lot of weird synergistic uses that will pop up over time. And as different sets rotate in and out, there will be different uses for it. Basically, if you're playing a synergy deck, something like God Pharaoh's Gift, this is a card that can buy you so much time. It blocks a lot of hazard attacks, and then it, <laughs> yeah. it, it does work later. Um, it's also really good with a card like, like, you know, if like a black-red mid-range deck becomes a thing, 
casting this and then eventually casting a Liliana Death's Majesty and bringing it back and then having it block for your Liliana as she gets you more value, like that's really powerful too. I, I think just to make this card really work, it can't just be like, I'm going to pay five mana and this card's going to win me the game. That's not really how it works anymore. That This card isn't quite on the raw power level enough to do that, but it does have a lot of neat effects and, and usefulness, especially if you're recurring it or or something like that. Um, I you know misunderstood the rotation schedule, and this is actually in standard with Dust to Dawn with pretty decent mana for enemy colored decks, and so that might be a thing. Like, getting this back with Dawn is uh, kind of insane. So, who knows, man? Right. I think there's a lot of uses for it. Um, I don't think the best use is just in some simple, like, Lanowar Elves deck and trying to get it out a turn early and stuff. Like, I don't think that's good enough. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, kind of, you know, finishing off with a grade, I think that it's probably going to be somewhere between... Probably, It's probably actually just going to be a solid C, in my mind. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's a fine place to land on this. Yeah. Next up, we have another goblin. Uh, this one is Skirk Prospector. It's a one mana, one one. It says sacrifice a goblin to add red to your mana pool. So this guy is actually interesting, and another card that I really like in the uh, the the red Godfarer's gift decks. Um, he's a cheap body. He has a sack outlet to be able to kind of like trigger himself on um, your uh, your gate to the afterlife. The gate to the afterlife. Yeah. So he can, you know, on on turn four, you can actually play your gate to the afterlife, sacrifice your skirt prospector to get another body in the yard, loot again off of the gate's trigger, and then you're going to have the the extra mana available to potentially sacrifice the the gate so he's kind of like an accelerant for that as well as just being a body to put in your graveyard and you know another trigger on the gate so i think that he synergizes pretty well with what that Mm. deck has going on uh which i think is pretty cool right and and if you're if you're pumping you know if if one of the things you're trying to do is is pump cards into your graveyard like like casting like a, a turn three gate and then just sacrificing this guy to put out siege gang on turn four to keep yourself from getting killed while you have a gate in play, and then right. you're gonna get so many triggers off of siege gang. Like I I really like that. Yeah, for sure. So I think that this guy definitely has a lot going for him. Um, in in that aspect, he's not a card I would put in any sort of like beatdown strategy. But as long no. as you're you know getting the utility that you want out of your mana, then uh, I think this guy definitely has a lot going for him. Yeah. So and and that's not even talking about the modern implications yet, which I think are considerable. Oh yeah, for for the prospector. Yeah, I, I mean, like this card is pretty busted. Skirk Prospector is the reason that goblins was a deck. Like it, it's the reason that there were combo goblins decks in old extended when that was a format. Um, yeah. Fecundity is legal in modern, and that's two and a green. Whenever a creature dies, its controller draws a card. Um, that is a very and like fecundity goblin storm was was a, <laughs> an extended deck and there's a lot of pieces to build that deck in modern and i don't know you know it might not get there it might end up being just kind of worse than regular storm but this guy and a mog war marshal like makes a bunch of mana gets you a bunch of fecundity triggers the the tools are there and this card just being able to sacrifice a goblin to add red is really really powerful and he costs one mana and there's there's a good chance that there's just a goblin storm deck in modern 
That would be sweet. I would be so excited to see something like that. Yeah. I know Jim Davis was brewing up one on stream, and it was, you know, looking like there was definitely something there. But, like, this card is... It, it seems when you just read it, it doesn't seem like insane, but it makes mana and it makes a hell of a lot of it. And, uh, you know, it, it goes so well with Empty the Warrens. Like, you got a Skirk Prospector out and then you do a mid size Empty the Warrens. And then that Empty the Warrens turns into like 12 mana to do more comboing with. And that's, that's, yeah, that's crazy. A, a pretty special interaction. So yeah. uh, I, I like this card a lot for Modern. The the draw card that you mentioned, does it matter if it's a token or not? No, it, it, it triggers off of tokens. So as long as you... If you have Fecundity and Skirk Prospector and you start going off a little bit, like it just it kind of And then you empty and then you just kind of like can kill them from there, I guess? Yeah. I mean, it... You know, there's there's a bunch of different ways of doing it. Most of the time you'll have like, like Bushwalkers or something just to give them haste and kill them that turn. Um, mm -hmm. But there are also ways of killing without the combat steps, so you can beat bridge decks and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. I could definitely see that being um, an interesting kind of like blitzy strategy. And uh... yeah, and I mean, I think the main thing that it has going over regular storm decks is that it doesn't use the graveyard, uh, and that removes one key vulnerability of the deck. You know, you still. You know, sometimes removal isn't as good against you as it is against the storm deck. Sometimes it just beats you. So, like, that's definitely an avenue of weakness. But you're removing one of the key weaknesses of the deck, and uh, that can be enough to make it the one you want to play. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, right. So, hopefully, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see some some interesting brews like that in modern. Um, I think that he's going to fit in a little bit in standard every once in a while. I think the standard rating that I'm going to give him is going to be a C. I think that he's going to, yeah. you know, have some have some roles to play every once in a while. And then in modern, if he if he works, he works in exactly one deck, which I think is just Goblin Fecundity Storm. <laughs> but right. but he That's would awesome. make that he would make that exist as a deck where it's obviously impossible otherwise. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the version that, that I saw Jim Davis trying was really cool. Like, he had started putting in um, Traverse the Ulvenwald so that he had eight Skirk Prospectors because you, you obviously can't win without it. And I think that's really key is making sure to find a way to maximize your ability to have a Prospector. But it was very powerful when it was going off, and I think that's a good starting place then. Well, cool. All right, well, next up we have Squee the Immortal. So... This guy is a 3-mana 2-1, so 1 red-red for a 2-1. It's a legendary goblin, and you may cast Squee the Immortal from your graveyard or from exile. So kind of no matter what zone can't get rid of in, you can cast him. So he's always coming back. Yeah. So, pretty sweet. I, I don't really see any particular use for this. I mean, maybe, like, some weird build of, like, food chain wants this as a combo piece but <laughs> it seems like a lot worse than the blue one that you can exile to force of will and then still combo with so or, or the colorless I, one that's or the colorless mana, one that's what you're looking for right right so i don't i don't really know what place it is but it is a sweet ability it seems very difficult in this day and age to like use that for value and not for comboing yeah so i don't i don't really see a home for this but i i could be surprised yeah, I, I, I expect him to not see any play in Standard. I think that mostly this card was just kind of like a fun card that they're like, hey, Squeeze yeah. back, it's Goblins again. But yeah, I, I don't really expect him to see a, a ton of play, 
I think that probably is going to just be an F in standard. He is he is sweet and limited. One of the few red cards that you know you're actually excited about in limited. <laughs> <laughs> Two ones forever. Well, it's in a it's an equipment heavy format, and and he definitely wears equipment pretty well. So he's got That's that good. going for him. That's good. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, probably an F. Yeah, probably yeah, pr- definitely an F for standard. So next up we have uh, Varix Bladewing. So this guy is a 4-mana 4-4 flyer. Um, So 2 red-red for 4-4. It's a legendary creature, dragon. It has kicker for 3-mana. And when Varix Bladewing enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, you create Karox Bladewing, a legendary 4-4 red dragon creature token of the flying. So essentially this guy is 4-mana 4-4 flyer, which is pretty good rate. You know, but you can also kick for three additional mana, so seven mana for two four four flyers. So kind of like doing a little bit of a broodmate dragon impression um, mm-hmm. with the like it's a little more expensive than blue broodmate dragon, but also you have the ability to cast just a four mana four four um, if that's just kind of what you're looking for on curve. So decently powerful effect. The problem with the blade wing is that. It really doesn't line up well against kind of like all of the other big red flyers in the format. Mm-hmm. Um, Glorybringer's just well, going to be able to kill it. Well, um, okay, so Phoenix. actually, Glorybringer deals oh. more damage to target non-dragon creatures. Oh, so that is the totally one right. thing that is... Like, I, if, if Glorybringer could kill this, I would call this pretty much completely unplayable. Um, yeah. as, as it is, though... I, I agree. Like, not only is it vulnerable to Chandra and bad against, like, Rekindling Phoenix, yeah. it also, like, I don't see myself putting this in my deck over Rekindling Phoenix. I, I'm not sure why I would do that. Because, like, uh-huh. at four mana, Phoenix, uh, unless, like, people are packing a bunch of three damage removal and then, like, either are just using that to get in or have a way of getting rid of the token or something like that. And the, the extra point of toughness is important, but like Phoenix is just so much better on four, the vast majority of the time. And then even on seven, like Phoenix is very similar to two, four power flyers. So because of the existence of rekindling Phoenix as just a way better card that does basically this, I have a hard time seeing myself wanting this card. Yeah, I think that the the Phoenix is definitely the real reason that this card is kind of a little lacking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Chandra just kind of answers it kind of too efficiently, in my yeah. mind. While it's it's a, like a cool effect, and you know, Broodmate Dragon is fun and all, um, I just don't really see this one being as good as kind of like the rest of the uh, the format. I mean, you know, I'm I'm still high on like a big red sort of deck, like maybe in one of your phoenix slots you're playing one of these just because like putting eight power on the board at some point can be very good eight flying power and you know like chandra is a card that can power out stuff like that but i i would definitely lean towards phoenix the vast majority of the time and that that lowers the rating of this card pretty significantly so maybe kind of downgraded to like a d yeah something like a d i don't see this seeing like regular play I, i think it can be good, but you want you need to be wanting very specific things. Yeah, true. All right, next up we have Wizard's Lightning. So this is usually, I guess, going to be a three-mana instant that deals three damage to any target. But it says uh, this spell costs two less to cast if you control a wizard. 
So if you control a wizard, then you just have access to good old-fashioned lightning bolt. Three damage to any target for, for, for one mana, which is really powerful. Um, the problem is you have to have a wizard in play. So, you know, if we're, if we're ignoring the wizard text, I think that we have a lot of other better options for that. Right, we've got, for sure. We've got lightning strike. Um, <laughs> so just kind of the same for one less mana. But there is a kind of like a burn-heavy wizards deck that people have been brewing with that included one of the legendary creatures that we're going to talk about a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that wizard deck is pretty close to real. Yeah, it it seems like just like kind of a prowess right. um, style wizard's strategy where there are a surprising number of, you know, wizards that already exist kind of in the format right now. Well, and the fact that um, Soulscar Mage is a wizard is really huge for that deck. Like, a, you know, yeah. you're, you're building prowess heavy, you're playing some, like pretty mopey like one mana cantrips just to mm. trigger prowess on Adelie's, but you've also got a one drop that happens to have prowess and is quite playable and is the right creature type the deck seems to work together pretty well and riddle form is a card that you know a, a while ago when it was first released i talked about how like i was very impressed with that card but the deck didn't seem to exist around it now if we can put together a deck around it uh riddle form is is very strong and i I like this this blue red deck. I think it's it's really cool, and th- that that would really be the only home for Wizards Lightning. But I think it exists. Yeah, if um if that deck exists and is good enough, then I think that this card is will absolutely be a role player in that deck. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, outside of that deck, though, I I don't see it seeing too much play. So right. it's kind of like a C with the caveat that you know it it kind of only fits in in one strategy. It feels like. Right, and that deck needs to be good, and if it turns out that like it's just a worse mono-red or something, then this card is not playable. Yeah. Right, right. So that wraps things up for red for us. Yeah, so kicking off green with uh, kind of a, a strictly worse version of one of the most important cards from a long-standard format. We've got <laughs> Adventurous Impulse. Uh, yeah. which is green for a sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So this is Oath of Nyssa that cannot get Planeswalkers and doesn't fix your mana for Planeswalkers. But I think that's still good enough in in a, a creature-heavy deck that wants some amount of card selection. You know, we don't have a Tune with Aether anymore, to give us that like one mana consistency one mana spell that gives us some consistency and i think this is a pretty decent replacement um you do have to be relatively creature heavy to want this but i mean like oath of nissa was one of the most important cards in standard and one of the most highly played cards in standard there's room for a a slightly worse oath of nissa that's still quite good the other thing that oath of nissa had going for it is the fact that you could flicker it off of your Felidar Guardian, right. Guardians, and that just kind of like added a whole nother element to the card that was super powerful. Yeah, I mean, it it helped make that particular deck very busted, but we also played a lot of Oath of Nissas in decks that could not blink it. Yeah, true. And I've, I've been leaving this card out of my Mono Green builds, which is mm-hmm. definitely one of the decks I feel like might want it the most, and that just might be a mistake. Maybe this should just be an auto-include into those decks, and I should just, you know, find the space for it. 
But um, for whatever reason, I, I've just kind of been a little underwhelmed with what this card has going for it. It's one cantrip. It it filters your draws like a little bit. Um, you're pretty unlikely to brick on on you know finding anything. So that's you know that's pretty strong on its own. And it will dig you towards your your kind of like your payoff cards like Galta and stuff like that, which is pretty strong. So you know, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a world where I'm just like completely wrong, and I just need to be putting four of these in my mono green decks for consistency's sake. The problem is that the difficulty that I'm running into is that the mono green deck is just so good at curving out on its own that I feel like from turn one forward, I'm just using every single mana. Mm-hmm. piece of my mana to cast creatures like turn one land or elves turn two guy or whatever like the only the only space that i could potentially see fitting this in into a, a decent curve is when i don't have land or elves so that might just be you know like now we have like eight good turn one plays but even then you know I feel like these cantrips are actually much much better later in the game when you know kind of what you're looking for because there are a lot of hands that you're going to have, like, you know, two or three lands in, so you don't really know if you want another land or not. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you, you kind of, like, would rather just, like, wait on your adventurous impulse. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, like, being patient and, like, not casting your serum visions too early is, like, a really important skill in modern. And I think that's yeah. probably a similar thing with this card. Yeah. And this might be a little too off-topic, but there there's a Scryland that might be in uh, our lands section. Uh, yeah, I think I yeah. tossed it in the lands section, yeah. One thing that I noticed a lot at the pre-release is that people just play that Scryland on turn one. They're like, all right, turn one, Scry. And uh, I think that they're falling under the similar trap of your card manipulation effects are actually going to be much, much better later on in the game. Because on turn one you don't know what you're looking for. So if you, you know, if you're looking at your opening hand of like three lands and four spells, but like one or two of them are like four drops or something, uh, you don't really know if you're looking for another land at that point. So if you like scry land, you're going to be stuck on, okay, is, I don't know whether or not I want this or not. Um, but if you hold your scry land to like, you know, be the last land that you've played, to know whether or not you're gonna look for another land to play whatever like big thing is in your hand or if you're just looking for more gas right you know these kind of cards are going to be much better to play later on in the game so that might be another reason for kind of including it in these decks because you can you can curve out and then like later on you can play your adventurous impulse to dig for another threat kind of like once you've already dumped your hand or whatever right so so maybe that's just kind of like another reason that I should be trying to include it in my green decks. I think if I were brewing up a green deck, I would start with impulses in, and then if they get in the way or just don't feel great, take them out. But it's hard to like like it's hard to know like okay, I've been playing this deck. I think impulse would be good in it. Like it's much easier to come away like yeah, impulse didn't really work out. Let's let's put that aside for now um i I think i I would encourage you to to try it first uh yeah and and then yeah i think you're absolutely right and i should i should at least give it a shot and and you know and see how it kind of plays out like like it took so long for like ponder to catch on and everyone to realize like oh god ponder is just broken and if your deck is like all creatures and lands this is just ponder so yeah well i mean not exactly 
the rest I go mean, on the bottom, exactly. <laughs> and right, you don't is, you can't shuffle. But um, right. but like that's that's better a, a reasonable amount of the time. It's worse sometimes. Like like in a no fetch land format, it's probably just better most of the time. But anyways, like like I think this card is really good in like an all um, an almost all creature and land deck. So yeah, I'm I'm into this. Yeah, for sure. So I can definitely see it getting a C. And if it if if I'm just completely wrong and it turns out to be just like a must have in any green deck that's playing a bunch of creatures, um, you know, maybe maybe it's just has a constant format presence or something. But I think for right now I'm gonna give it a C. Yeah, I I mean I think like the green red monsters decks like this is gonna be a, a pretty decent part of that deck too. Um, as much as I have no desire to play that kind of deck, I, I think it's just pretty good and probably like as the format goes on like more and more of these will get played sure so yeah c seems fine yeah so our next card is broken bond so this is one in a green for a sorcery destroy target artifact or enchantment you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield so you were pretty excited about this like mostly as like a modern sideboard card right Yes, um, I think that this card is going to fit really well into the sideboard of Valkit specifically. Probably nowhere else, but like as a Valkit sideboard card, I think that this is just kind of the one of the better uh, artifact or enchantment removal spells that it has access to. Uh, yeah. Being able to not only advance your own game plan, but also kind of like you know hit one of the problematic permanents that your opponent is representing is is pretty big game honestly, and I, I think that it's. It'll, it it should you should find space for it in your in your Valkyrie sideboards, um, if that's what you're doing. Uh, outside of that deck in modern though, um, it's probably just going to be much worse than anything else. And it's probably like a medium to bad sideboard card in in standard. I guess. Yeah, I just in standard. Mana? I mean, do we even have a yeah? We have naturalized in standard. We have actual naturalized in standard right now. We have actual naturalized. So, that's right. We have actual naturalized. That just seems yeah. better most of yeah. the time. Yeah. In standard, I think that this is going to not see any play. So standard yeah. F, modern, yeah. Valkut, Valkut sideboard, sideboard card. whatever grade is associated with that right. exact yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right. So we're talking about for that aspect in terms of uh, in terms of standard, I, I, it's it's not going to see any play because just because we have actual naturalize. Yep. Uh, all right. Next up, we got a weird one. This is fungal plots. One in a green. It's an enchantment. You can pay one in a green and exile a creature card from your graveyard to create a one-one green sapperling creature token and sacrifice two sapperlings. You gain two life and draw a card. So the the reason that this made the list is, for me specifically, is because. It is quite good against the Scarab God out of a uh, black-blue deck, and the card in general is just like quite good against like a black-blue control deck. Um, whether that deck even exists anymore in this upcoming standard is a huge question mark. But this card is a pretty, pretty sweet grindy card in exactly the right kind of matchup. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems sweet as just kind of like a grindy card. I know this is a constructed set review, but I will say that I've been super impressed with this card in Limited, and yes. uh, generally when something kind of like uh, really, really pulls its weight in Limited for me, then it's worth at least considering for Constructed. So this is definitely one of those cards that 
you know, I was so impressed by when just kind of like seeing it play around at like pre-releases and everything. I was like, whoa, maybe there's something here. Maybe this is just like one of the good grindy cards that green is going to have access to. Uh, I haven't tested with it a whole lot yet, but um, it, it definitely it definitely has a lot of potential. So I'm I'm definitely fine to to speculate on this a little bit. Yeah, it, it like it does give that incidental value. Like they cannot scarab god if you've got this in play. They can't scarab god your graveyard. They can still scarab god theirs. But a lot of times, you know, this is not true for like the mid range decks, but for the very controly scarab god decks, they're really relying on your graveyard a lot of the time. Um, and so that's nice there. And this just, you know, against that kind of deck, it allows you to go wide and draw extra cards and just like this does a lot of grinding in a creature heavy deck. So I, there's something here, I think. I agree. I think it's another card that I should be putting in my sideboard for the time being for the mono green deck, just to see if it's, you know, has any applications there and any mm -hmm. sort of like grindy matchups. Generally, that kind of effect is super, super strong against any sort of like control deck. You know, maybe these, like, uh, you know, white control decks with Fumigates and Settles are, is, like, something that I should be testing this out against. Yeah, although Settle yeah. is pretty... Right, you know, and I, I was going to say, there, this down. there's a, like, their primary removal spell that they're using right now is actually Seal Away, so the only card that puts things in your graveyard feels like is Fumigate, which is awkward. Um, right. And I've seen a lot, of, a lot of lists with significantly more settles than fumigates. Oh, I am um, for sure. And and I I do feel like going forward, the default control deck is probably gonna be blue white rather than blue black. Just got a lot of tools in this set, and uh, it like having the answers to stuff going wide seems much more important than having the efficient one for one stuff that that the blue black decks. We're able to do and also to the existence of teferi means that you're not as reliant like scarab god isn't added necessarily adding a dimension that uh the blue white decks don't have access to and just a, a game ending five drop and, and and a card like fungal plots is a lot worse against a blue white deck than a blue black deck basically yeah yeah for sure so might lose some points there a little bit i expect that blue white is going to be more popular at least for this weekend, in some sort of control shell than um, than blue black, just because of the existence of Teferi. Yeah. Um, that's just a card that control players are going to be excited about, and might just push blue white over the edge in you know in the consideration of blue white versus blue black, anyways. So, yeah. Um, but for fungal plots, I think it is worthy of sideboard consideration. That's that's probably the extent of it, but I think it can be a pretty powerful way to grind and and be the bigger like mid range creature deck in in mid range creature battles. And yeah, I think it, I think it'll see more play than you would think based on like this type of weird like limited enchantment. The how much play it's historically seen, but still probably something like a, a D ish. Right. Yeah. Next up, we've got Grow from the Ashes. So this is two and a green for a sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. But you can also kick it for an additional two, and if you kick it, then you get two basic land cards instead of one. And really key here is also that they come into play untapped, uh, which can really enable some pretty efficient turns where you like cast this and also cast a removal spell. I, I like this card a lot. The, the way that the ramp decks work right now in standard generally is you cast a three mana ramp spell you cast a five mana ramp spell 
and then you go. And this can fill either slot there, and that's really, really valuable. Not to mention the fact that you get the basic lands untapped so that you can cast a removal spell or whatever uh, on the same turn. I'm a pretty big fan of this card. Yeah, if you're playing like the um, the green-red based ramp spell, or yeah, ramp deck, I guess, um, that's probably playing a lot more colors as well, but like... You're playing red removal Base. spells to kind yeah. of like keep up or whatever. This card seems great. Turn three play pattern of cast this card, leave up your uh, shiv and fire or kind of whatever is uh, like pretty powerful play pattern. Often you're kind of caught between ramping and interacting, um, mm -hmm. and this gives you the potential to be able to do both, which is pretty strong. It just kind of, like, this card's playability, I think, is going to depend a lot on how popular the ramp decks end up being in this format. I th and I think that's going to be pretty dependent on a lot of factors, so it's kind of hard to pin down early on whether or not that's going to be true. But if, if the green ramp decks are, you know, something that ends up being well-positioned for whatever reason, then, yeah, I think that they're going to want to play this card, and I think it's going to be pretty good. Just playing with it in Limited... Like, a lot of times, the ramp cards in Limited, they, they end up being, like, kind of awkward, and you never really get a turn where it's, like, efficient and productive to cast them. But with this one, like, a lot of times, you can just fit it in because the land comes into play untapped. Or even if you can't fit it in early, then later on, you cast it, and then you, like, get two lands, and then maybe cast something that turn or just have a really big turn after that. I think that sort of, like, utility and just sort of the... the the way that it fits into turns is going to translate to constructed reasonably well, especially in a deck that's designed to make that work. But of course, this only really works in that one kind of deck. But, you know, hard to ask for more from a, a three mana ramp spell than one that can also be your five mana ramp spell. That's very good. Yeah, definitely. The 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 uh, flexibility there is, is pretty strong, for sure. Yep. So next up, we've got... Lanoir Elves, the classic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> green for a 1-1 Elf Druid, tap to add green. Pretty simple, pretty powerful. I think that this is also going to be kind of the other easy A in the, for in, the, in the set. This card is just, you know, the existence of this card in the format creates archetypes, which is insane. It makes, it makes something like that mono green deck just so much better. Yes, absolutely. Like I've been playing a lot of that deck recently, and the and the games that you start off with this guy feel so good. Like on the play, being able to play a five four on turn two is like, whew, hooey. This is gonna and be this really is, busted. This is also one of the big reasons that I think that blue black is not going to be the control deck of choice anymore. Um, you just can't keep up with the Lanoir Elf start. The, the blue-black deck is designed to just, like, trade one for one each turn at, like, mana parity, basically. And if you're operating just a mana ahead starting on turn one, like, that's gonna snowball and eventually you're just gonna come out on top. Like, their, their like, moments of craving and stuff are not gonna line up against the things you're casting. And it's just in that one-for-one -one kind of deck, like, Lanoir Elves breaks that math. And so that makes you want to be running more, a removal that's more along the lines of the white removal of Seal Away, Fumigate, Settle the Wreckage. And, and Lanoir Elves specifically makes that, you know, make a lot more sense to for if, if you're going to be a control deck, you want those kinds of answers. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, definitely format warping, because everybody's going to be thinking about 
either you know how how well they're going to be able to keep up with this card or how well they want to utilize this card. Uh, just a lot of stuff going on there. So yep, which I think definitely makes it an A. One thing like when when building, you got to make sure you know I, I think like slotting it right into Sultai Constrictor, like replacing the servants of the conduit with it. Like I think that's not the way to use this card. I think you got to be aware of the differences between it and the other you know the the pseudo elves in the format like it, it makes three drops very valuable and more powerful um you got to make sure you have enough untapped green sources to cast this on turn one but once you do all that math and work it out like yeah this card is just so good so yep it's gonna make the format a different kind of format and the other thing that's important to note about this card that i feel like a lot of people are overlooking when they're jamming it into their two color decks is that you, in order to best utilize this card, you really need to make sure that you've got enough turn one green sources. Yep. And that's honestly why I am pretty sold on the mono green decks over the potentially more powerful green red or green white decks that you could also put Lanowar Elves in. Because you, you need to make sure that you've got probably somewhere around 14 turn one green sources in your deck and given the current structure of the way that the mana is built right now if you are in any sort of allied color combination that's going to be really difficult so yep. things like green white and green red the the lands just don't exist to really both give you a good mana base that's going to be able to hit both of your colors pretty well and be able to give you the 14 turn one green sources that you're looking for. Right. You probably need to be looking at, at Ether Hub or something like that in that case. Right, right. Or just kind of like whatever you need to have that additional punch or whatever. The, the, the enemy colors do have, I think, a little better mana base that way. So if you're trying to be green blue or green black, then you, you kind of have the fast lands as, as part of your, your dual land mana base which are going to give you a lot more flexibility when it comes to turn one green sources. And I think that specifically the, the Sultai uh, mana base is going to work out really well for you because you have access to both Botanical Sanctum and uh, the green-black. Blooming Marsh. Blooming um, Marsh, right. Yeah, right. So you got Sanctums and Marshes and Ether Hubs, and you run a couple of forests anyways. So this three-color deck actually already sort of can run Lenoir Elves in it. I think you change the creature base up a little bit to fit the elves in, but yeah, that, that's that's one of the things I'm excited about going forward is is figuring out how uh, Lanoir elves makes snake uh, slither or climb or whatever a little right. better. Yeah, and and honestly, and I'm 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 saying this kind of as a warning for anybody playing this weekend in Atlanta. I think that green red or green white might be a little bit of a trap when it comes mm -hmm. to playing the land of worlds in your deck because just because the mana is so awful to try to fit in those 14 sources that you're statistically gotcha. going to want because like you know all of the options for turn one dual lands are going to come into play tapped in those color pairs it's it's only hub and the the fast lands are the only dual lands that can cast land or elves so right yeah right so just kind of be aware of that and don't don't throw together some monsters deck that only has like seven to ten turn one <laughs> green lands so yeah that's uh i think that's gonna be a trap that a lot of people fall into week one that's why i'm really really leaning towards mono green if i'm playing land of war elves just because 
you know, now I have 23 turn one uh, <laughs> green sources, so it's, you know, it's just going to be fine no matter what. Um, right, right. And, so. and you get Steel Leaf Champion, which is not a nothing card, and, and then you just focus really hard on doing one plan. And that I've been super impressed with Ronos' Monument. Honestly, I think this mono green deck, pretty much on its own, just kind of crushes any other mid-range beatdown strategy. It's really mm-hmm. good against red. It's really good against just kind of like any of the other monsters style because of Ronus's Monument and Turbo Galta and all of these things. The the explosiveness that it has is is just really insane. So I uh, I will have to give it a spin. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. So Lanor Elves makes that deck work. Makes a lot of decks work. Big deal. Yes. Uh, next up, we've got Saproling Migration. This is one in a green for a sorcery. Create two 1-1 one, one green Saproling creature tokens, and it's got kicker of four. If you paid the kicker cost, instead you create four 1-1 one, one green Saproling creature tokens. This is a big game. We were already playing Servo Exhibition, which is just this yeah. without the kicker cost, and this right. just is extra... I, I mean it's just very good like you're gonna cast it on turn two in your token deck and it's gonna be great if the game goes kind of long you're gonna get extra tokens out of it um it goes really really well with another card we're gonna talk about uh next actually which is song of frailies and yeah this card's gonna see a lot of play in token decks yeah if right if there's gonna be a good token deck it will include sapling or migration just because it, it has the flexibility of both you know being on curve turn two play or, you know, six mana four guys, which is pretty strong. And, you know, we have a, we have access to a lot of interesting, like, token enablers and producers in this new set. I think there, there definitely could be a very, very powerful green-white token stack moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is probably a... I, I guess this that would make this a C. It's just any green token deck, this is sort of the base of it. Yep. Agreed. Next card is very good with Saperling Migration. This is yeah. Song of Frailies. This is one in a green. It's a saga. Its first and second chapters are until your next turn, creatures you control gain tap, add one mana of any color. And its third chapter is put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance, trample, and indestructible until end of turn. Uh, so this is you know we we got right back like this can make a ton of mana in a token deck and then it also is a payoff card all on its own putting you know if you have four or five tokens and you put plus one plus one counters on all of them after using some of them for mana like this did a lot of work for two mana yes and the i think that people are kind of overlooking the keywords that this card gives in the last ability let's go over them one more time those creatures gain Vigilance, Trample, and Indestructible until end of turn. Holy cow! Right. That's so good. You just good. get to swing your board into anything. Right. That translates essentially to just kind of like push all of your creatures a little bit forward and say, I'll attack you with everything. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're indestructible, and they have Vigilance and Trample. If you're going wide, which the Song of Frailies just kind of like enables on its own, you and it doesn't really even matter like you can definitely build your deck around it but if you can fit this in on your curve and you have a bunch of other like tokens in play or whatever then you can like cast this the same turn cast a bunch of other tokens the next turn have a ton of mana to cast all of your dudes and then just kind of like have been able to easily dump your hand no matter what on by the the time the third chapter comes out and it it makes that 
that kicked sapperling migration happen very easily and very early. And then if they don't sweep you before that third chapter after a kick sapperling migration, that's that's a lot. You're dealing a lot of damage. Yeah. So yep. absolutely. I mean, this is one of those cards that like when you see it in play, you'll know, like you'll understand. But like I've been on both sides of this in limited, and it's just it, it's insane. Like I had this in a, a draft deck that it like allowed me to cast a turn four siege gang commander on my yeah. board that was already full of creatures. Like this card is has some nuts applications, and so I I think it's in these go wide decks. It's it's just going to be one of the reasons to be in the deck, and and so I guess I guess a C, um, and it's just going to be one of the more impressive things you see on the battlefield. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm super excited about this card. I think that it's going to be. Uh, if this tokens deck turns out to be pretty good, I think that it's going to be pretty nuts with this card specifically. It, it just does a, a thing that breaks constructed formats, basically, which is making significantly more mana than it costs. And then yeah, you even yeah. recoup the card by putting plus one, plus one counters and giving your team all these keywords for a turn. So, yeah. Um, I mean, if they're crushing you, if they are, like, goblin chain whirling you and, and sweeping all of your creatures every turn, uh, then yes, this card does nothing. It's also bad on the back foot. But as long as you have ways to put creatures into play and then you play this, like, it's it's going to be good. Agreed. Uh, next card is a, a little more speculative for the go-wide decks, I think. This is Spore Swarm. This is three and a green for an instant. Create three 1-1 one, one green Saproling creature tokens. I think that this might be kind of a placeholder card in these decks until we get like a little bit better of a token generator or something, but I think it might just be fine for a while. I, I mean, it is an instant, and that's nice. It's definitely made it into all of my tokens brews so far. I, I definitely think that it's going to be... I've been, I've been impressed with this card, even though it looks kind of medium. I, I think yeah. that it definitely fits in those strategies um, either way. So I, I definitely wouldn't just kind of like, you know, kind of disregard this as like a, just a role player. I think that it's, it's, it's pretty strong. Three, like, we're already playing Sram's expertise in this strategy. And, you know, the expertise is clearly better because it, it allows you to cast something else as well. Yeah, like a Song of Frailies. Holy crap. Right, yeah, like a Song of... Exactly. So, but the, the Spore Swarm, I think, is, you know, you, you still need enough dudes just to make this deck work. Like, right. you, you need, pretty much your entire deck needs to either be a token generator or a... A token payoff, yeah. Or, or like, a, a payoff card or just a creature, right? Because you mm -hmm. just need a lot of creatures. And I think that this is just going to be, you know, one of the best, like, hordling outburst impression cards, I guess. Right. Uh, that we're going to have access to here. And I think the instant speed, the instant speed part of it shouldn't be overlooked. Most of the sweepers people are going to play are sorcery speed. So, like, say you've got a Song of Frailies out, and you're about to tick up to three. So they, like, chain whirler you in anticipation of that happening to try to clear out most of your guys. So then yeah. you can float mana, because the, the, the mana ability from Song of Frailies lasts until your next turn. So you can float mana, let the trigger resolve, and then cast Spore Swarm, so you still have some guys for the third chapter to, to pump. Like, those kinds of play patterns can give the deck, 
yeah, it, it, it makes it less of a dumb, like, throw my stuff on the board and hope for the best deck, just having a few instants in it. And so that's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So I guess, like, like D-ish, it's like a part of the tokens decks, but not necessarily, you know, it, it's like a necessary evil, probably. Yeah, yeah, I could see it being somewhere around there. It's definitely not one of the better cards in the token deck, but it's it's going to be a, it's going to make a cut. Sure. I, in my mind, most of the time. Next card I did not have on this list initially, but I cheated a little bit and looked at <laughs> the first batch of 5-0 decks, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. The day one 5-0 decks like, are always all over the place. But there was one 5-0 deck that was just green-black sapperlings, and it had a playset of Spore Crown Thalid. So this is one and a green for a 2-2 fungus. Each other creature you control that's a fungus or sapperling gets plus one, plus one. And I mean, this is... You know, this is a the fungus lord. Yeah, yeah, it's the fungus lord. It's a two mana two two. You know, if you have multiples out, they pump each other. Uh, it pumps. You know that the deck had uh, Yavamaya Sapherd in it, which is the jungle pioneer for from from the set two and a green for a two two that you also get a a Sapperling. So like a, a lot of the cards kind of underpowered, but I guess they they came together pretty well. And Sporecrowd Thalid was probably a, a decent part of that. I don't know that this makes it going forward. But, you know, it's pretty efficient if you have guys in play. Like, it's a lot of power and toughness for two mana. I Right. If uh, if there is any sort of, like, fungus slapperling-specific deck, this guy's mm. definitely going to see play in that strategy. I'm not sold on how good that strategy is going to end up being. Personally, I think that I would want to go more green-white. You know, really lean on the Song of Freilis and some other, like, white pump spells and stuff. But who knows? Maybe, maybe just the mono-green, like... Fungus sapperling stuff is good enough on its own. It's just kind right. of suffering from the fact that it's only really pulling from one from set. One set, yeah. So it's going to be slightly less powerful than just kind of the other decks that are pulling from multiple sets, you know? Right, right, definitely. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is a pretty speculative one, and I, I'd honestly be pretty surprised if this is good going forward, um, unless we get more more Saprolane cards in the next set. Yeah. Next up, we've got one that I think uh, you'd pro- y- you would probably count as, like, proven quality at this point. Uh, <laughs> so this is... Oh, yeah. Steel Leaf Champion. Green, green, green for a 5-4 Elf Knight. Steel Leaf Champion can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. That is a body. It's quite a large body, yeah. I mean, this is one of the cards that was, like, spoiled pretty early on in this you know, in this the spoiler season for this uh, set. Yep. Um, and, you know, even back then, people were looking at this card like, whoa, this is really big. Uh, yep. Triple green, 5-4, can't be blocked with power two or less. The text on this card is very relevant in my experience in Standard. Yeah, there's a lot of little guys blocking these days, and they, they are not blocking this guy. And, yeah, uh, I've definitely been able to be like, all right, you know, activate my Chef at Dunes on this guy, Pump him up with my, you know, other pump spell or whatever. You're dead, despite you having a bunch of blockers or whatever. Hashep Oasis, right? Chef at Dunes is the white one. Yeah, Hashep Oasis. You're, you're not yeah. gonna, you're not gonna find uh, Chef at Dunes in a Steel Leaf Champion deck. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are gonna find Lanoir Elves in a Steel Leaf Champion. Oh deck, yes, you are. Yeah. Turn two Steel Leaf Champion is just like not beatable if you don't immediately have one of the few removal spells in standard that that can be cast on it right then yeah yeah and just the four toughness is super relevant against a lot of strategies like against green red and 
mono red, you know, like the only removal spell they have for it is Chandra. Um, everything else, you know, it, it dies to Chandra and it dies to Glorybringer, but like all of their just kind of like medium removal spells and just like their littler dudes kind of get brick walled by this guy pretty hard, and he's going to be a two for one against their dudes or whatever pretty consistently. And if he does 10 and then dies to Chandra or Glorybringer, that's fine. Right. Yeah, and he'll get in for 10 if you uh, if you put him down on turn 2, that's for sure. So, yep. yeah, pretty strong there. Uh, I like this card a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess a C because it only fits into mono green. Like, y- you are playing it in mono green stompy. It's one of the main reasons to play the deck. So let's be clear about that. And it's going to be very, yep. very good. But, yeah. That, that's, like, I, you can't really put it anywhere else. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. He's a role player in one deck, very strong in that deck, and, and one of the payoffs for going for mono green. Yep. Honestly, probably a reason to be thinking about Fight with Fire in some of your removal slots. Just because yes. one turn earlier of killing this guy is going to make a huge difference in your ability to survive the game. Yeah. No, that's a good point, for sure. Next up, we've got Territorial Allosaurus. So this is... Two and two green for a 5-5, five, five. and it's got kicker of two and a green. When it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, it fights another target creature. So this guy's, yeah, he's just big. He's a four mana 5-5. Five, five. The problem is that, you know, he's four mana, so he's kind of like beyond the curve on, I think, a lot of... Uh, I think he's beyond the curve on the mono green deck, and he could potentially mm-hmm. be on curve for like, the green-red monsters deck, but you, your four-mana slot's already, like, pretty spoken for a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, four is a, a tough spot to be in with stuff like like Rekindling Phoenix. I, I mean, this is a, a question of, really, like, answers and threats, and you're trying to pick what matches up best against, like, the removal spells people are playing and stuff, and there are times when maybe this 5-5 five five is, like, what you want to be doing, like maybe it kills at the right speed or something like that and then especially in a deck that can get to that seven mana and and that that's a big a big game against the other mid-range creature decks like if you can get this down and kill one of their like one of their medium-sized creatures at some point in the game that can be a big swing yeah definitely for sure but you know seven mana is a pretty big ask for that oh, definitely. Effect, i think i just don't really like the mana cost to pay off ratio for for being able to fight a creature as much um, right i think this is that's more of like a payoff for those games where you manage to keep a chandra and play for a turn or something like that. sure that's sure, what sure. i think of a lot with these kicker cost cards is like if the base rate is fine and then they reward you for protecting a chandra and and this is one of those guys but um that makes sense that makes sense definitely that may not be enough to like turn it into a card that you want in your deck yeah uh, I'd give this guy a, probably a D. Yeah, pretty speculative. Yeah. Like, maybe there could be a universe where you want this thing over something else, but sure. also maybe sure. not. Next up, we've got a classic. This is Verdant Force. Verdant this Force. Is five green, green, green. So eight mana for a 7-7 seven, seven elemental. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a 1-1 one, one green Saprolane creature token. I think probably... Unless we figure out a way to reanimate this efficiently, it's unlikely to be a thing. But it is a sweet, like, reanimation or cheaty target. If that's, you know, if there's some way to, like, Liliana this into play on turn five, like, that's pretty powerful, potentially. Yeah, I agree. 
Unfortunately, I feel like he just doesn't quite do as much as like maybe some of the other like really really big guys that we might have access to. Um, yeah. Like he's pretty slow to take over the game. You really right. want your like animation targets to be able to have a huge immediate impact on what's going on, right? And this guy mm. is—he's a seven-seven, so that's you know definitely not something to overlook. But it just kind of takes a while to just kind of like really gum up the board state, right? And he doesn't gum up the board state against rekindling Phoenix and Glorybringer, or right, 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 Dawnbringer, or you just don't have the time. Ether Sphere Harvester or appeal to authority. Like there's a lot of threats <laughs> in this format that it just doesn't really do anything against. So yeah, right. So so that's my concern with this guy is that you just don't have the time to to utilize him as much. So mm -hmm. I think that he's probably just not going to be as big of a bomb as some of the other options that we have access to. So maybe speculative, but I don't know. In my book, he's almost just probably, probably doesn't see not play see this time play. around. Yeah, I don't think so. Next up, just very briefly, we've got Yavamaya Sapherd. Two and a green for a 2-2 fungus. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one green sapperling creature token. You know, funguses are a thing. This is part of it. Funguses are probably not a thing. I mean, the cool, the, the deck was, the, the 5 deck, it was running four Tendershoot Dryads, which, <laughs> if you've got yeah. a bunch of Sapperlings in your deck, like, 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 Tendershoot Dryad in standard, like, if they don't remove it, like, it will win the game in, in two turns, basically. But if you are a Sapperling deck, then it can just be a pump spell for a combat step, potentially. And right. that's, right. that add, that makes it... Uh, you know a different sort of card uh, and a more you know like constructed worthy card you know the problem is the the supporting staff if you're running cards like yavamaya sap herd that may not be exactly where you want to go to but lanoir elves upgrades every single three mana green spell you know like casting this on turn two is very respectable so i you know I, this is not an impossibility for but you know, it, it's one specific Sapperling focused deck, so right, right. Maybe maybe a role player in in that specific archetype, but yeah, for sure. If that's a deck, so definitely a D. But it'd be very cute if it worked. Yeah. All right, uh, that's gonna wrap us up for green. Uh, yeah. So now we get to move on into the the next bit, which is gonna be our multicolored cards. So we're gonna start off with. Uh, Adelie's the Cinder Wind. So this is the wizard we were talking about from before. It's a three mana, two, two, one blue red for a legendary human wizard. It has flying in haste, and it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, wizards you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So kind of like pseudo prowess for all of your wizards if you have this guy. It's going to pump all of your dudes up a little bit. And it's got, you know, it's a it's an evasive uh, haster. So, you know, it's going to probably get in for just like two damage on the turn you cast it. And then potentially a lot more damage on following turns. Uh, so it definitely represents a lot of damage. In the wizard's deck, as I've seen it built, I think it would rarely attack for less than four on the turns after it comes into play. So yeah, that's yeah, and obviously if you've kept any of your soul scar mages or the one drop from Dominaria or uh, whatever other wizards you have in your deck, right? All of a sudden those guys are getting like plus two plus two for each yeah. instant sorcery you're casting, so they're getting really big really quickly. Yeah, definitely a powerful card in that deck, 
and it's a it's a deck that you know like i was trying to make like blue red prowess work a couple of sets ago um there were some things i liked about it and one of the big things as, as i mentioned earlier is i think riddle form is a really legit card it's quite powerful it by itself gives you a reasonable game against like mono red because it makes like earthshaker kenra very awkward to attack with uh you can't you know you can't earthshaker kenra riddle form you can't on crop crasher riddle form because you make it into a creature after they attack and uh just like it survives sweepers it, it just does a lot for how cheap it is if you can run it in your deck and this shell may be good enough uh, and we may finally have a riddle form deck and that's pretty exciting to me so i i i like this card a lot and i think that the wizards deck is actually pretty real i i think that it has the tools that it needs to you know do what it's trying to do pretty efficiently so that's that's pretty good yeah and you get lightning bolt i mean slightly worse lightning bolt because you can't like no matter how many wizards you have you can't wizards lightning elanor elves on turn one but <laughs> yeah uh, true you know, and that's a huge use of can't, lightning Can't bolts. bolt that bird with that bolt. But. <laughs> or, yeah, not a bird. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and that that is a pretty big downgrade for... that. That's a pretty big strike against it when compared to what one mana burn spells are really supposed to be. But most of the time, you're just going to be aiming that at your opponent's face, getting a prowess trigger, and going to town. So I think that's a fine plan. Yeah, agreed. All right, so next up we have... Ariel Knight of Windgrace. This is the it's the knight uh, gold card. It's white and black, so it's a four mana four four, two white black for four four. Uh, it has vigilance, and then it has two activated abilities. The first one is two and a white tap, create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance, and then it has black tap. Tap X, untapped knights you control, destroy target creature with power X or less. I mean, these kinds of cards tend to not be constructed playable. Like, decent sized body, but is higher up on the curve, 4 mana, um, has activated abilities that, that you need to untap to use. Um, especially, like, being a 4 mana creature that's vulnerable to Glorybringer is not an ideal spot to be in. But if there is a black-white knight deck... If that's a thing, I could see this being in it at a, a copy or two, basically. Yeah, I could potentially see that, you know, being the case in, you know, maybe there's some some knight's deck that's uh, that's white-black. But, I don't know, the, the rate on this card just doesn't seem great. And then it's a pretty heavy mana investment to be able to create dudes, and it has to live. Yeah, maybe maybe one or two of in those decks, but I'm, I'm not sold. Probably going to be a D for me on this one. One thing to think about is that this will be one day in a format with no glory bringers in it and you know the the way the format might play out is that this is fine it's also just like very very good on a stalled board true, or true. like if you've in some sort of attrition war where you've both gotten worn down and then if this is like the last spell that you cast like this does a lot of work on its own um and that's enough like whether or not they have a board like this can do a lot of work and that may be enough, you know, that some deck in, at some point wants a couple of copies of these. But yeah, on rate right now in a Glorybringer format, it's just not very exciting. Yeah, I can see that for sure. All right, so next up we have I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. <laughs> <laughs> I usually I usually say Jehoira, but uh, however however you want to pronounce Joyra? it. Joyra? 
Jehoira. Jehoira. That's fine too. Yeah, Jehoira Weatherlight Captain. So this is uh, two blue red for a 3 3 legendary human artificer. And it says whenever you cast a historic spell, you draw a card. So historic spells are artifacts, legendaries, uh, and sagas. Honestly, this card terrifies me. <laughs> a, a card that says whenever you cast an artifact, draw a card. Like, that could be, like, that's just asking to be busted wide open. Right. Yeah, there are definitely, like, a lot of strategies that could potentially revolve around putting a bunch of cheap artifacts in your deck. And there are a couple of payoff cards for that. Um, I think there's this, uh, the Weatherlight Captain. I think there's, you know, the the blue saga that we talked about, the Antiquities War. There's also Karn. So there's a lot of potential payoffs for, you know, doing stuff like that. Uh, Mox Amber goes is just the perfect card to cast on the same turn as Jehoira. Cost zero gets you another mana you can use to pay for your next artifact you cast on yeah, that turn. true, true, true. Like, I, I, um, I think there's just a lot of ways to bust this. So it seems it seems like there's definitely some options available. If you, if you like brewing, like, combo-y style decks... This is definitely a card that you want to be looking into. Although I, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable giving it a rate above a D at the moment, just because I, I don't know what those decks are going to look like quite yet. Sure. Um, but I could easily see some like uh, Joyra deck kind of like being busted and 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 breaking the format for some standard tournament. Well, and hold on, I'm going to look up real quick. One second, as I look up, type. In standard equipment, <laughs> mana cost equals zero. Because right now, in standard, we've got... uh, oh, Looks like no zero mana cost equipment in standard. Is that right? Or did I screw Yeah, all the SRAM stuff left. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, maybe we can sure. do it with short swords and stuff. But, or maybe we... I, I don't know. Right now, we have... Jehoira, we have SRAM, we have Board the Weatherlight, which gets either Jehoira or SRAM or any of your artifacts that trigger them. Uh, SRAM turns on Mox Amber, and then any equipment that you cast would trigger either of them to draw a card. You know, I don't know that this makes a deck, but, you know, we've got Paradoxical Outcome in Standard as well, and that maybe maybe enough. Yeah, definitely. You know, maybe there's there's something to go off of there. Uh, yeah, I wasn't thinking about paradoxical outcome, but that's that's definitely a pretty good point for sure. Yeah, the the no zero mana equipment in standard definitely hurts. Yeah, uh, that yeah. that may be on purpose, but uh, <laughs> but we do have mox amber, so you know. But yeah, mox amber is a huge part of this deck. Feels like it. So yeah, I mean, definitely speculative, but like if somebody breaks this card, it it could be very very broken. So I may try. I may be. I may try and fall on my face many times, but I'll, I'll probably give this one a shot. Uh, I hope you will. I hope more people will, for sure. <laughs> All right, so next up we have Oath of Teferi. Um, so this is a five-mana enchantment, three white-blue for a legendary enchantment. When Oath of Teferi enters the battlefield, exile another target permanent you control. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. You may activate the loyalty abilities of playing blockers you control twice each turn rather than only once. So this is kind of a, it's like a strange effect. So it essentially fee or what's the term? Flicker wisps, a yeah. permanent you control, 
when it comes into play. And then you can activate the loyalty ability of your planeswalkers twice each turn, which could potentially be pretty powerful. You know, all of a sudden your Teferis are drawing you two cards and untapping four lands in your in your instep. You and know, they are that's your planeswalkers are are racing towards their ultimates at that point. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, like five mana Nissa, uh, you can just cast plus and then ultimate if you have enough of Teferi in play. The problem is that the five mana mana sink into something that's really not going to do a whole lot that turns it, the turn it comes into play is pretty scary in my, yes. in my mind. Yeah, um, I definitely so agree. I think that that, it, for me, is going to push this probably out of playability uh, unless you're on some like super friends deck that is like really, really trying to utilize Planeswalkers as much as they can. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It it seems probably going to be win more in my mind more often than not. So, I think uh, I think that's that's, that's probably mostly true. Um, I I think this is probably an F. Uh, this kind of like expensive setup card that doesn't really do anything on its own is just like not not a thing you can really afford to do in constructed. Yeah. So so yeah, probably. But there is a certain amount of power there. Uh, allowing your planeswalkers to double activate, you know, is is a lot of value if you can manage to do it. And actually, the next card is a card that like kind of might make this possible. Um, I hadn't thought about this card. This card wasn't on the list except that I cheated and and glanced at the five O lists, um, and I saw multiple lists running this card. Raf Capuchin, Ship's Mage. So this is two, yeah. a white and a blue for a three three flash flying. Uh, legendary human wizard you may cast ex- historic spells as though they had flash and these were you know a c- couple of different color combinations but i think there was a, a straight blue white one a bant one and an esper one that was running this and you know several other like legendaries and other things and just enough stuff that you know th- it was really like a blue white flash deck and like end of turn or mid combat lyra dawnbringer off of this guy is really good <laughs> yes for sure for sure and and you get to like you get to hold up your syncopates and like you just get to play on their end step and that's uh you know we haven't had that in a little while but i think this may be a card that just brings blue white flash back to standard yeah i mean i could definitely see it the i think that it's mainly going to be like a control strategy or maybe like a tempo-y strategy generally. Um, yeah. But yeah, having the, the flash threats is going to be really important. And then, you know, being able to cast like uh, Lyra's and other stuff like that is also going to be pretty big. Um, just to be able to do on your opponent's instep or like ambush them in combat, you know, it could be it could be a lot of fun stuff going on. So I can right. definitely see this kind of like creating a new archetype on its own a little bit. Like more of like a tempo style control deck. Yeah, and that's that's what it seemed to be doing with those lists. They were just lists, but like all the other cards really could not go together without this. You know, they were running the full playset of Raf Capuchins. It just was very important to the deck to have that an option as an option. You know, whatever turn they don't cast a thing that you need to deal with on their turn, you just put this into play and then you untap yeah. and like or even just like use it as like a yeah, it, like just trade with their guy, kind of you know since it's legendary you don't really mind as much just like trading these guys off or whatever so like flash block your three three right trade it off move on Seems right fine. and that's that is the thing that keeps it from being like you know uh, obviously 
great. Like one, the reason that I didn't have it on the list is because yeah, it is a three-three for four mana. That's not very big, but you know, like it's it's not a three-three for four mana that's like vulnerable to Glorybringer because you're untapped by the time that they're trying to attack you with their Glorybringer, and maybe flashing in a Lyra Dawnbringer to block their Glorybringer. Like they just your opponent's gonna have the fear if you've got this in play. Yeah, and that's that's good. That's pretty strong for sure. All right, so next up we've got Shana, uh, Sisse's Legacy. So this is green-white for a 0-0, zero, zero, but Shana says Shana gets plus one, plus one for each creature you control. So going to be a 1-1 one, one if it's the only creature on your side of the battlefield, but you know the more dudes you got, the bigger Shana gets. Um, mm-hmm. Shana also says Shana, Sisse's Legacy can't be the target of abilities your opponents control. Not spells or abilities, just abilities. Um, I think a lot of, like, when I first read this card, I, I definitely had to read it a couple of times because I was like, wait a minute, is, is this just, like, hexproof? No, it's uh, it's got protection from abilities your opponent's control, which and kind of almost feels like Trinket Text on this card a little bit. Except, um, except that it gives it protection from Seal Away, and I think that's really important for this card. Oh, yeah. That's that's fair. That's fair. Um, also, can't be targeted by a glory bringer. Um, right. Can't be can't be killed by ravenous chupacabra. Less relevant right now, but possibly a thing. But yeah, I think the glory bringer part is relevant. Maybe a few things that you know this card is able to dodge. That's kind of neat. But yeah. um, but certainly less powerful than hexproof. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm not super sold on this card. Um, I think I might try out a couple in my um, Green White Tokens list just to see if it's, you know, yeah, nice to have that big body on the board pretty quickly. Um, I mean, I think this is one of those cards that it is really nice to put into play with a SRAM's expertise. I mean, there's not really a shortage of those, but right, this might right. be, you know, there might be matchups where it's nice to have one tall threat in your wide strategy. Um, just to like either have a good blocker or be able to beat down while you're still uh, progressing your board could be pretty strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. So you know, I, I think that this card is probably you know a, a speculative pick, so a, a D in my mind. Right. I I think. I, I mean, I think it will. Like the meta won't always be right. I mean, the meta won't always be right for green white tokens. Uh, and the meta won't always be such that you want this in your green white tokens deck. But I think often enough, it'll be pretty powerful. I think it'll see play on and off in that deck, and I think it'll be pretty good when it is good. It's yeah. it's a pretty solid appeal target. I mean, you know, a lot of times it doesn't matter what you cast appeal on, you're just going to win the game. But, like, this is one that gets you there, even if your board is not quite as wide as you were hoping. Like, if it's a 5-5 five, five, and then appeal gives it an extra plus 5, plus 5, and then you just kill them, like, that's really good. Yeah, for sure, potentially. Definitely some utility there, and I think that I will end up trying some out in the um, in the tokens list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not super excited about this one, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's You have to be looking for that big threat, and I don't think you always are. Um, it, it, I think the one of the big things going for it right now specifically is that if blue-black is as underplayed as we kind of think it will be, then that means that, you know, blue-white is sort of the main control deck. They 
don't have as much targeted removal. And like one of the bad things about putting Shauna into your tokens deck is it gives them a good target for their removal spells. Um, yeah. Blue-white's only targeted removal spell really is is seal away, uh, unless, you know, they're going up to, like, cast out and stuff, but she's a, a two-mana card. So, and actually, no, cast out and stuff. Cast out doesn't her. even work. Yeah, I feel right. like all of so, white's removal spell right now, except for farm to market, is going to be uh, right. enchantment-based. Right, so none of their targeted stuff hits her. So against those kinds of decks, like the weakness of putting like a one big threat that's a like a that can get one for one by removal spells that isn't really there against the blue white decks. I, I don't think it like makes those matchups like good. I think that's still really difficult, and you need like some particular plan for those matchups. But it it means that it's not as big of a weakness. Like I, I think she's just not going to die to very many removal spells that people are playing that are targeted right now. So it doesn't like open you up in a way that you weren't open before. Yes, yeah, for sure. All right, so we've got one more multicolored card that we're going to talk about, and it's a bit of a doozy. Uh, yes. This one is Teferi. So Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, is a five-mana Planeswalker, three white, blue. Starts out with four loyalty. Teferi has a plus one, says, draw a card at the beginning of the next end step, untap two lands. Teferi has minus three, Put target non-land permanent into its opponent's into its owner's library third from the top, and then minus eight of you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls. So, Teferi is pretty busted. I think. I think so too. <laughs> this might be the the other A of the format. Teferi ha- has just an excellent ability to protect himself uh, in the minus three. Uh, just you just get to put anything away, and it doesn't even matter if it's like a a, a phoenix, a rekindling phoenix, or another planeswalker, like a Chandra, or like your opponent's Glorybringer. It just goes away into your or a Hazaret or a Scarab God. It yes, yeah, anything, literally anything. It just is gone, and everything, that everything except for Shada. Sh- yeah, well, like Shana gets by. <laughs> but, Fair. So, but just that ability right now in the format has been super, super strong in the testing that we've done. Um, and it's also it's also got that dimension of, and I mean, this is kind of minor, but it still matters. Um, like the white enchantment-based removal spells, um, a lot of times they get cast onto your Torrential Gear Hulk, and then you get to get them really hard by commit. To, by committing their enchantment and getting an extra gear hulk trigger and getting a block or something um and yeah. teferi kind of does the same thing he gets you an extra gear hulk trigger if they were forced to remove your gear hulk with a with an enchantment and that's that's a powerful dimension too yeah kind of minor and but even just noting. the ability of being able to untap two lands the turn that you cast it Ugh. there are a lot of times where you're like you know you have like a a cast down or a uh, another, like an essence scatter in your hand or something, and on turn five, you can just cast to fairy, untap your two lands, hit their creature with your cast down, or if the board's empty, you can cast to fairy, untap two lands, counter their spell the next turn with your with your essence scatter. It's just the, like, the way that this card lines up against everything has been really, really impressive to me so far. So, yeah, right, all of these things are, like, very gross. So, so this is a this is definitely one of the cards that I'm I'm super excited about it to see play in you know I think that if you're playing control you want to be playing blue white right now Teferi is an excellent addition into that deck 
it gives you the card advantage that you want. It gives you just another like a removal piece, uh, planeswalker. It's just really going to take over the game. I feel like if you untap this card and you're you're no longer under any pressure, you're just going to win the game. I agree with everything you said, except that I am not excited about this card. I I because you're like it, you're scared. <laughs> I just I think it might be a little bit oppressive. I don't know. It, like yeah. like we'll see. And and it is a planeswalker. You know like. It, it, it might be just the way that you tend to get pressured, especially by the red decks, makes it hard to run too many copies of it. But yeah, that plus one untapping a land, untapping two lands uh, is just very good. And it, this is like removal and card advantage and a win condition all in one. And like we've seen this in Planeswalkers before. And it's, it's it, like this is just, this is Obnixilis, but way better. And in colors that want that effect more. Right. And that's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excited, scared. I don't know what emotions are actually going around with this card, but I yeah. think it's probably the best, you know, non Llanowar elf car- card in the set. Pretty pretty easily. For standard, at least, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe second best because of the next card we're about to talk about. But <laughs> yeah, I this think is that, a you know. Too. I think that. If you know, if you're already, if you're not worried about the colors of your card, I think that this is probably right. Um, gonna be the best one. Yep, yep, just very good, and and super, super uh, disheartening to play against in limited. Oh, I'm sure. Jeez. Just although I will say that experience. I played against in in my midnight pre-release. I played against uh, one opponent that had Karn and one opponent had Teferi. And I was undefeated in games against these planeswalkers, so uh, that's pretty well, fun. Well, you, you must have been attacking them. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, <laughs> it was very nice. I, I got uh, all three times I killed the planeswalker, I killed him with the uh, the, f- the kicker plus four plus four pump spell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Just like, all right, got him. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've spent most of my time in this limited format grinding as hard as I can, which means that like I've lost to Karn, I've lost to Teferi, and I've lost to uh, Jaya. So yeah. not not gonna outgrind those cards. Sorry. No, it's just not possible. So next up, we do we are talking about Karn. So this is Karn, Scion of Urza, four four of any color for a legendary planeswalker. Karn plus one. Reveal the top two cards of your library. An opponent chooses one of them. Put that card into your hand and exile the other with a silver counter on it. Minus one, put a card you own with a silver counter on it from exile into your hand. And minus two, create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. And he starts with five loyalty. So he takes up to six to get the worst of the top two cards and then uh, exiles the other one. And then you can minus to get any of the cards that have been exiled with him. And you can minus two to get a colorless construct i think most of the time karn is going to be used in decks i think the best use of karn is in decks that can make his minus two uh, 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 that can maximize his minus two my opinion on karn is that he's going to be definitely excellent in any sort of artifact deck but i think that this card is just good in any deck i don't think that you need any artifacts in your deck to make Karn playable. Mm. The, he, the he comes down for four mana. He goes up to six loyalty. So that's like a big chunk, right? And it is. You know, uh, unless your opponent has already amassed like a pretty large board state, they're not going to be able to get rid of him very easily. 
and you know depending on what kind of like strategy you're playing you know maybe you've got some dudes maybe you're controlling the board a little bit but i feel like it's pretty easy to have like a six loyalty guy stick around and he just Mm -hmm. offers so much card advantage like you're going to end up getting the card that you want pretty much all the time and uh i've just been really impressed with karn so far uh from what i've seen and what's also pretty cool is the next Karn can get any of the silver counter cards from earlier Karns. So they're not right. yeah. they're not just gone. Um, so your second Karn is usually quite a bit better than your first one if it comes down to that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, right. So I, I've been really impressed with Karn. I think that it's definitely going to see play in a lot of facets. I think that it's going to be an excellent sideboard card for some strategies that are just looking for a grindy card that mm-hmm. might not ordinarily fit in their color pie. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed with this card uh, so yeah. far. Uh, and I think it's going to see a lot of play. I don't know how much play it's going to see in decks that, like, really are only using it for the card drawing abilities. Probably some. You know, like, I can definitely see, you know, like, like white-black, you know, removal-heavy decks using this as, like, the payoff for having a lot of really efficient one-for-ones. And then you land a Karn and you just, like, grind them out from there. Like, I can definitely see that. I think the the best Karns, and I think the most of the time when we see Karn, it's going to be in decks that it can easily come down and make a 3-3 or a 4-4. And so I, I, I think, like... This may fit really, really nicely into, like, the white-black hidden stockpile decks. You know, like, Anointed Procession with Karnout is, is something something special. Um, and those those are also decks that the, the card drawing is excellent in. Because um, a lot of times you find yourself in this weird, like, scrying top deck mode and you can't quite get there. And this just kind of solves that situation. Um, but there's just a lot of decks that this is good in. This is good in the decks that you know, like, improvised decks that weren't quite good enough. Like, this might just help make them good enough. Or maybe it's the Antiquities War that does that. But there's some four-mana spell in this set that makes those those decks good enough, I think. Whether it's Karn or the Antiquities War, the Djinn of the Lamp, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, Karn is definitely great. If it doesn't see play as just a card advantage engine, which it totally could, then it will definitely see play in decks that the minus two just makes, like, a 4-4 in most of the time. And it's going to be insane in those decks. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I'm I'm I guess I'm a little more on like any card any any deck that wants any sort of card advantage card is going to want to play this guy. Yeah, I, I think the rating I'm going to give him is probably going to be a probably a B. Um, maybe not like format warping. Maybe format warping. Maybe. Um, so maybe somewhere in between those, but uh, definitely a B at least. I think it might be a card that allows multiple decks to exist that kind of couldn't. And that's probably good enough to get an A. You know, if it if it allows, like, Tezzeret decks to exist, or Tezzeret-style decks, like improvised decks, and also, like, makes, like, mono-black or white-black removal into a deck, and also, like, makes those hidden stockpile decks really a deck that I'm interested in playing, like, I think that's enough to call it an A. It, like, it will be one of the most important cards in the format at that point, but that right, is a right, little right. bit speculative. But I think I'm willing to give this thing an A. And it's also going to have uh, modern implications, probably. Um, it's just too easy to get tons of artifacts in play. It's it's really easy to play an early Karn that's minusing to make 7-7s. Seven <laughs> yeah. Even in a format like yeah, modern, for that's sure. really good. Right. Yeah, minus 2 create Master of Ethereum without the Anthem is uh, pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any any Mox Opal deck 
I mean, you know, like, this is not a lantern card, but any other yeah. deck that you can build with Mox. But just, like, a sideboard card in Crackland Ironworks to be able to play through, um, right. like, Stony Silence or something. Just, like, make big dudes that turn sideways. It's Exactly. Like, this is, this is a beautiful sideboard card in any artifact deck because it gets around Ancient Grudge and Stony Silence and any way that they're trying to fight your artifact stuff. It yeah. just beats that. Right. Like, uh, until they have Stony Silence and uh, Ensnaring Bridge in play, and you don't have, like, answers in your deck that it can draw you into, like, it, it just has so many angles of attack that the the sideboard strategies against the artifact decks aren't really prepared to deal with, that it's gonna, it, it, it's such a powerful, you know, switch, switcheroo kind of card. Like, now I can do all this stuff, are you ready for that? And And usually they won't be. Right. Agreed. So yeah, next up we've got Damping Sphere. Oh, so this yeah. is a two-mana artifact. If a land is tapped for two more mana, it produces one colorless instead of any other type and amount. Each spell a player casts costs one more to cast for each other spell that player has cast this turn. So I, I do want to take a second and just talk about what this card doesn't do. And I, I think it's really easy to look at it and be like, oh yeah, line one hoses Tron and other decks that make more than one mana with their lands, and line two hoses Storm, and it's just a great sideboard card against each. And I think that you need to be a lot more careful when you're thinking about this kind of sideboard card. You know, like, this might just be worse than, like, a Thorn of Amethyst against Storm decks, because they can still cast... Like, their first cantrip each turn, this doesn't affect at all. Their second spell on the turn, this is taxing them half as much as a thorn. Their third spell of the turn, now this has taxed them as much as Athalia or a Thorn of Amethyst has taxed them. This only really taxes them on their actual storm turn. So it might buy you some time, but it doesn't, like, mess up their cantripping and stuff the way that a, uh, a, a regular thorn would. Where I see this being good is when you just don't have enough slots for everything, you need something that's pretty good against a bunch of different things, and your deck is, like, your plan is assertive and aggressive enough that this buys you enough time against those decks that it is, you know, and it overlaps enough that this is what you want. But this is not just, like, I beat Storm and I beat Tron. Like, this is just a very flexible sideboard card that might be what you want if you're tight on slots, I think. Yeah, I mean, right. I think that... I, I see your concerns when you're talking about how it lines up against Storm. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that, honestly, that's probably going to be good enough for the decks that are going to want to run this kind of sideboard card anyways yeah. the the decks that are wanting to run this kind of sideboard card like as their storm slot are really only concerned about not dying and this definitely does a good job of preventing the storm decks from killing them like if, if the storm deck's going to be able to go off it's going to have to get this off of the board so that just mm -hmm. kind of like fulfills my requirement for like hate piece against storm i think um it's just something that can sit in play where as long as it's in play i feel safe that i'm just not dead the next turn so like a deck like valakut i think is going to be really excited about this as a sideboard card just because it's a it's a good storm hate piece and it also has the utility against tron as well so but i agree that it's it's not for everybody 
it's it's definitely not a cyborg card that I think everybody is going to be wanting to run in their deck. Right. Right. I, I think it's just like, you know, I, I think lots of decks will try this out and should try it out because it's a good, efficient use of sideboard space. But uh, don't be surprised when good Storm players are able to take advantage of the fact that it isn't really taxing them during normal play and they're able to cantrip and gifts their way into a bounce spell, get this off the board, and kill you. You need to be really aware of how they can make that happen. Um, and that that part of it is easier under a Damping Sphere than it is under a Thorn. But this also has applications against Storm. And I think that you, it, as long as you want this slot to be applicable to both of those matchups, and it is doing what you want in both of those matchups, then yeah, this is going to be a great card for that. And also, incidental hate against stuff like uh, Amulet. Like, Amulet can't win with this in play. At least not quickly. Uh, like, it can grind you out with Titans, but... Uh, right. Yeah, it's no, getting... it's going to be much, much more difficult for Amulet to do anything with this into play. That's that's for sure. If their bounce lands <laughs> tap for a colorless... Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, a, lot, a lot of their hands just can't cast spells. Also, you might just kill them off of a Summoner's Pact if you hold on to yeah. this for a minute, so... Right. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, but I, I think that's another another good good point. Yeah, I so, I'm pretty excited about this card for for cyborg in in modern. Um, sure. It's you know I think it's pretty clearly a standard F. Um, right. So yeah. probably not even worth talking about in that context. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm excited about this as a, as yeah. a as a flexible cyborg card for for some decks in modern. And it probably gets about as close to a C as, like, any new card can get in Modern. Like, I'm sure we're going to see a ton of it, some of it more correct than others. But eventually people will settle down and it'll become clear where it's good and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, next card, not a Modern card. This is Forebear's Blade. This is 3 for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus 3, plus 0, and has Vigilance and Trample. Its equip cost is 3. And when a quip creature dies, attach Forebear's Blade to target creature you control. So this does not read like a constructed card. And I'm not saying it is a constructed card. But after seeing this play out in Limited, it is so bonkers in creature-on-creature -creature fights. You put it on a guy. That guy attacks every turn. They can't ignore it because it has three extra power and trample. And they can't attack you back through it because it has vigilance. And then each time it dies... It just throws the sword over to another creature. They can't even, like, cast a removal spell on the creature mid-combat to get a break from it, because if you're attacking with another creature, he tosses the sword to that creature, which gets the sword. Uh, so this is maybe... What I would see this is, like, as a, a, a mirror breaker in, like, the go-wide matchups. And maybe the vehicles are already the mirror breaker in, the, in those matchups, so you don't need this kind of clunky card for it. But, you know, if you both have a bunch of tokens and then one player puts out a Forebear's Blade, puts it on a 1-1 and starts attacking, like, that player is going to win. Yeah. Because, like, even if you're trying to just, like, chump or whatever, it gets trampled. So you're still it's getting in trample. damage on that exchange, which is, is pretty relevant for, for what this card is trying to do. Yeah. But pretty limited application. You know, it's an equipment. It's clunky. Um, yeah. But that is a spot where I could see this shining it's just when it's doing its job that job is it's just brutal yeah I, you know pretty speculative but um yeah. you know definitely worth at least talking about a little bit that's really all i had to say about it yeah so d 
Yeah, probably a D. An, probably an F. You know, it's a limited sideboard card that may just never see any play, but it's it's a thing to keep in mind. Sure. Next up is Gilded Lotus. This is five for an artifact. Tap to add three mana of any one color. Good old Gilded Lotus. Good old Gilded Lotus. So we've got a lot of options now for the five mana ramp slot. Like between our yeah. promise, Gilded Lotus, and the the kicker one, like there's just a lot of ways to end up at a ton of mana in standard. And Gilded Lotus um, is a particularly decent way to do that because, you know, you can cast this on five and then cast the Sweltering Suns that turn. Or you can cast it on, on six and cast like a four mana Planeswalker or something like that. Um, yeah. The so fact yeah. that it's like once you hit five mana this card effectively only casts two mana or costs two mm -hmm. mana is is pretty strong and something to not be overlooked too easily right so you know really only going to see play in those rampy decks but it is a way of yeah. jumping you to that point in the game where you just have so much mana right i think it'll be a role player in in those decks yeah so i guess that um, makes it like a, a d or something but, like, I, I'd give know. it a C, I think, yeah, potentially, if it, if it ends up seeing play. But maybe maybe it's just a speculation on whether or not, you know, those yeah. decks are going to be even good or not. So that maybe that'll push it further down to a D. Yeah. And I mean, the other question is, like, you know, you're probably playing your, like, four hours of promise before you're playing the Gilded Lotus because of Arch of Arazka and the zombie blockers. I mean, maybe not. Maybe Gilded Lotus just ends up being better. Um, and I mean, like the, the kicker ramp spell also, you know, may, may reduce the need for having quite as many five mana, mana things, but Gilded Lotus, like what it does is very powerful and all, like it fixes your colors and it immediately taps your mana and that's really strong. Yeah. Agreed. Some slight disenergy a little bit with this card and I'm blanking on the name of that big old dinosaur, uh, uh that untaps all of your lands. Oh, and uh, but I feel Zakama. like yeah. yeah, I feel like if you're casting Zakama, you don't really care if you have six or right, nine right. lands as in play. As you like, still have a Zakama, like so that's pretty good. Two activations out of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing to be really concerned about is that probably a braid is blank against your deck unless you have Gilded Lotus in it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So it, you know, and, and that, that's that's something to to mention for like all of these artifacts is that, you know, we are in an abrade format right now, and, like, as long as yeah. God Pharaoh's Gift is good, then you don't want Gilded Lotus in your ramp deck. You want Hour of Promise and From the Ashes. Because you can't, you can't afford to get your Gilded Lotus abraded. Yeah. So. Abrade might be the card that just kind of pushes Gilded Lotus away from playability. Just because, yeah, if you ever get your Gilded Lotus abraded, that's gonna be it's pretty bad. game. Feels yeah. like. <laughs> yep. Next up is an artifact that actually doesn't really get worse because of abrade. So this is Mox yeah. Amber, yeah. Uh, probably the most controversial card in the set. So zero, because <laughs> it's a Mox, legendary artifact. Tap, add one mana of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers you control. Yeah, so this this guy is, it's definitely been pretty controversial. A lot of people are trying really hard to break this card. Because mm -hmm. I feel like we all know at this point that, you know, zero mana artifacts that tap for mana are going to be busted most of the time. And, you know, even, you know, even the, the quote-unquote bad ones have turned out to be just kind of, like, busted on their own right. But this one, I don't know. It feels like the downside to this is a bit too strong for it to be able to see play in, in a lot of contexts. 
But if this card ever does see play in a deck and it's good, I think that deck is probably going to be pretty busted. Um, yeah. So, you know, some of the options that we were talking about are the Jehoira, like, combo decks with the, with the you know, a bunch of artifacts and, and uh, historic spells that you can trigger that guy off of. Um, it could be busted in some sort of, like, you know, the Antiquities War deck. These could be just the same deck. Who knows? So, yeah, definitely, like, a lot of options for potentially breaking this card. But the the downside of it really takes away the general upside of zero mana, zero mana, Moxon essentially, mm-hmm. uh, because the the upside of those cards is like on turn one you can do more than normal, and that is typically always never going to be the case with Mox Amber. It's going to yeah, usually I... just be like a ramp you from from maybe like two to three or like three to four just like give you an like one extra land drop later on in the game so i am pretty high on this card for standard and let me sort of try to explain why so in standard if we had a two if we had mindstone in standard that would be that card would be very very good this sort of ramps at the same stage of the game that mindstone does but you never have to make that two mana investment into it if your deck is built around it, and it has to be built around it, but if you got the legends and you want, you know, an extra mana at some point in the game, and I mean an extra land drop, a free land drop, like this does that. This also, in any of the decks that are trying to break like Jehoira or Teshar Ancestors Apostle, this is just the best way to do that. I think that we will be seeing, I mean, we'll see some decks with Mox Amber in it that it probably shouldn't be in. We'll see some decks with a fair number of legendaries that Mox Amber is okay in. You know, cards like uh, Shauna, the green-white legend, like, it might just be good enough to run legends like that. Um, She'll often be like a 3-3 or a 4-4 in a deck that just has a bunch of creatures. Um, You know, something like a Teshar Ancestor's Apostle deck in in green-white. And, you know, you're just, like, playing creatures, and then on, like, turn four, you play a Teshar, play Mox Amber, get a Historic Trigger, get one of your creatures back into play. Um, but you're also playing Shauna, so you could turn two, cast, Shisha- cast Shauna, and then you have an extra mana that turn or the next turn. Like, it's just too easy to make free mana with, with Mox Amber, as long as you've got legends that you want to run anyways. Uh, I... I just think this card's going to be really good. And in Modern, like, I think there was already, a, like, a mono-white aggro deck, or maybe not mono-white, maybe, a, a you know, some sort of zoo deck. But I, I know somebody 5-0'd a Modern event with Mox Amber, like, four Mox Ambers in their deck. I think somebody also already 5-0'd a standard event with four Mox Ambers in their deck. I think it's just, like, there are going to be applications for it. It is definitely the hardest Mox to use, but... You know, like, Mox Opal took a, a little while to become a thing, and now it's maybe one of the best cards in Modern. I don't think Mox Amber's going to get to that point, but there's a lot of room to be not nearly as good as Mox Opal and still be really, really good. Yeah. I guess my, my concern about Mox Amber is similar to my concern about all of the legendary sorceries, where mm-hmm. the caveat of having legendary in play to to be able to utilize a card is... sure not really something that i like just from a consistency standpoint but you know i I could be i could be wrong here and on on the wrong side of history i guess when i say that i i don't really expect mox amber to see a lot of play in standard 
but I think that, you know, a lot of people are going to try to test it out, which is great. And uh, we'll just kind of see where it goes from there. Yeah, we will see. I mean, it is much easier to, like, get a couple of mana out of Mox Amber with legendary creatures in play than it is to, like, keep a legendary creature in play and then untap and cast, like, a five mana. True. Oh, for sure, for sure. But, yeah, I guess the concern is similar, but it's definitely not as extreme. Right, right. I don't know. I I foresee big things for this card, but we will we'll definitely see. It's definitely okay. a high variance sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Next one is Weatherlight. This is four for a legendary artifact vehicle. It's a four five with flying. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a historic card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order, and it's got crew three. I don't think this gets there, but it is a cool card. Yeah, it's it's definitely a cool card. Um, I just don't think that it... Like, the, the mana cost associated with it and the crew cost specifically associated with it, I think are going to be a little too... Uh, um, costly for it to see play in standard. Yeah. Um, but, it you know, it does a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it is an F. Um, yeah. Like, with vehicles, like, you want to play them, crew them, kill your opponent with them. Like, you're not trying to, like, get a bunch of card advantage off of your vehicles. And, and this... I mean, I guess, right. like, you get card advantage off of the boat, but you're also just killing them with the boat. And that's, <laughs> that's a very different yeah, thing yeah, from, yeah. from where they're yeah. like. The, my favorite kind of card advantage, which is uh, when they die, they have a bunch of cards in their hand, which is, uh, <laughs> in my mind, some card advantage. So It's definitely card advantage. Yeah. Yep. So, not really playable. So, so that that's going to do us for the artifacts. So we're going to go into the lands from the set that we see, think are going to see some play. We're starting off with Cabal Stronghold. So this is a, a land that taps for colorless, but also has an activated ability of three mana, tap it, add black mana for each basic swamp you control. If you don't mind if I just start us off with a little bit of history. Okay. Um, I'm ready. All right, so in uh, Odyssey block, in Torment, that, that was when Cabal Coffers was printed, um, which was just this, but way better. Uh, it, it didn't have the tap for a colorless, but it was two tap, add black for each swamp you control. Mono black control was a deck in that format. That was like 15 years ago or something. Uh, yeah. Pretty much like towards the beginning of my time as a Magic player. Since then... Every time some card has been printed with, like, several black at its mana cost, the entire magic magicking community has freaked out and said, oh my god, is mono black control back? And it's never been back. In, like, 15 years, it has never been back. <laughs> the only time was when mono black devotion was a deck. And that wasn't mono black control. That was just this weird, like, tempo deck that, like, uh, had just, like, super efficient cards and pack rats and stuff. The, the pieces required to make a mono black deck are so, and the environment required for that sort of thing is just such a rare occurrence. It just never, ever happens. And this card requires you to be in mono black for it to do anything. So that's just the starting point. This is how I approach cards like this, is with that, like, history in mind. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, It definitely has that similar effect where, you know, it's, it's one of the payoffs for being in mono black black there are some cards that are definitely 
going to pay you off for having a lot of mana in mono black too, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So you know, if if that if if a mono black deck exists, I think that it will definitely want to be playing these as long as it's not like a an aggro deck. Like I think a mono black aggro deck is probably gonna forego playing any of these. But any sort of like yes. mid range to like big big black deck, then definitely gonna want to yeah. have some number of these. I think. And I mean, you it has to be basic swamps, so you can't even put like cycling lands in your deck if you wanted that effect you can't really be you can't run any utility lands except for maybe field of ruin um and this also doesn't start paying you until you have five swamps and the kibal stronghold in play and then you get one extra mana later in the game you can get a lot of mana out of it and there are places to put that mana i mean there's josu vess like that card should win the game if you untap with it and so you know, it's not impossible that this card gets run, but I would be pretty surprised if I saw, like, a mono-black deck featuring Cabal Stronghold be, like, a player in the format. I agree. I agree. So, so. you know, I guess what were we calling this? A D? D? I mean, I kind of just want to say F, just because, yeah. like, I'm not not feeling it, but, like, it's possible. I'm, yeah, it's, I'm it's with you on that. possible. But yeah, I you know I'm, I'm I'd be willing to to give it like a D minus speculative grade for sure. So next up we've got it's kind of like a, a placeholder for all of this cycle. So this these are the enemy colored what what are these called check lands? Yeah, that's what I usually call them. Yeah, so the check lands are the lands that come to play tapped unless you control a. Uh, in standard, it's going to be a basic land, or I guess that's not even true. It's it's unless you control like so. Uh, I'm struggling on how to phrase this. <laughs> uh, comes uh, to play tapped unless you control a land of the type of the colors that it makes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we've got Cliff Top Retreat for uh, red-white. We've got Isolated Chapel for white-black. We've got Hinterland Harbor for green-blue. And we, we have Sulphur Falls for blue-red. And we have Woodland Cemetery for, for black-green. Um, so these are all the the checklands, um, the enemy paired checklands, and these are just going to be you know supplemental to the mana bases that we have access to in in standard right now. Interestingly enough, they they aren't going to help at all on turn one, um, and they're going to require you to play a, a, a decent number of either basic lands or the the cycle lands that have the uh, the the type on printed on the card. Yeah, not not like a ton that we can talk about there, I guess. But essentially, right. I mean, it's they make be, mana bases better. Um, like some of the enemy colored decks were forced to run the lands that always come into play tapped, and these are clearly strict upgrades to those. Um, it yeah, kind of makes yeah. the enemy colored mana bases better than the allied ones because between these and the the fast lands, like you can do a lot of decent stuff. Um, Got to be careful with your deck construction, though. Uh, with making sure that your numbers are right for allowing them to come into play untapped but basically these just give more options for you know like wedge decks and stuff uh in particular and just for enemy colored decks and yeah they're just gonna be an important part of standard but just dual lands yeah yep just dual lands next up we've got some interesting utility lands so uh there's a whole cycle of these one for each color uh, we're starting off with the black one. This is Memorial to Folly. Uh, they all enter the battlefield tapped and produce one of the their color. So Memorial to Folly enters the battlefield tapped and produces black. This one has two and a black and 
you tap to sacrifice it. Uh, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So essentially it's a land, it comes to play tapped, and then later on in the game you can bring a creature from your graveyard back to your hand. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think most of these are pretty strong. Um, yeah. They all have some sort of effect that is generally going to be equal to at least a card, which is pretty strong for any, any sort of land, with the only downside being that they come to play tapped. Well, and the hidden downside of that, you know, if they're taking up spots that would otherwise be a basic land, then they also don't help your dual lands come into play untapped. True, um, true. Yeah. But, you know, these mostly go into decks that have very sturdy mana bases that don't really need the help. Um, so that's, you know, that won't really be that big of a concern. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I see these in two-color decks, or you know, and, and maybe even decks that are like very solidly, like mostly one color and just a little bit of another one is, is kind of the ideal spot for these. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so next up we've got... Uh, I guess we should just go over all of these, or do we want to give them all yeah, individual Yeah, why don't we read ratings? all of them, and then just sort of talk about them in general a little yeah, bit, I guess. I think that's a good idea. So we also have Memorial to Genius. So this is the blue one. It comes to play tapped, produces blue, and then it has four and a blue, and tap to sacrifice it to draw two cards. Mm -hmm. um, the white one is Memorial to Glory. It comes to play tapped, produces a white. It has three and a white, tap sacrifice to create two one one white soldier creature tokens the green one uh has uh two and a green tap to sacrifice look at the top uh five cards of your library you may reveal a creature card from among them uh put it in your hand and put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order um there's also a red one yeah, I just um, didn't include it because it's so bad. But the red one, <laughs> yeah, the red one's not going to be too strong. So the red one is four and a red tap sacrifice to destroy target land. Yeah, we, we're not very excited about the red one, but pretty much all of the rest of them feel like they're worth at least a card. And in the blue one's case, uh, it's worth two cards because you're drawing two cards. Yeah, although we've seen in the past, and I'm trying to remember the name of the land, but, you know, a lot of blue control decks, like, it's hard... Like, lands that sacrifice to draw cards is kind of a hard sell because yeah. you're so mana-hungry and you never want to sacrifice your lands. And so having a land that comes into play tapped for an effect that you want, like, one game out of, like, eight or nine or something like that is, is often not worth the cost. Um, right, right. Yeah, but in general, I think that if as long as you identify that your mana base can support one of these, I think they're mm -hmm. definitely going to be worth including. But, you know, kind of using the Mono Green deck I've been testing a lot with as another example, I do not have any Memorial of Unities in my Mono Green deck, and that was yeah. a conscious choice. I really wanted my mana to be as efficient as possible, and kind of for the same reason I was hesitant to put in the uh, Adventurous Impulse. I, I feel like having a tap lane in that deck is going to be pretty detrimental to it doing its game plan of curving out and killing the opponent. It, it doesn't feel like there are many opportunities where I feel like I can put in a tap land. So mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I figured that I, you know, if maybe if I wanted to go up to like 24 lands in that deck, I could, you know, have the 24th land be a memorial of unity, but generally, yeah, I, I decided yeah. against it. So as long as you feel like your curve and your mana base can support these, I think they're definitely gonna be worth it, just like as another utility thing. 
but definitely don't don't just jam a bunch of these in your deck assuming that they're going to be good there's a real cost to having these in your deck right and i think they tend to be better in like grindier mid-range decks that you know drawing an extra land or two can kind of hurt because every everything counts but like you know if you uh, have a couple too many lands, but then you can sacrifice your memorial to Folly to bring back a Glorybringer or something from your graveyard. Like that's really good, and you know decks like that may may really want to have like twenty five or twenty six lands, but they can't really afford to get flooded. And this is you know like cycling lands and like you know the utility deserts. Like these are another useful solution to that problem. You can run a lot of lands and then convert your lands into valuable resources later on in the game when yeah. when you've both exhausted what you've got going on. I think um, that these I'm, are going to go really well in any sort of Hour of Promise deck. Um, yes, yeah, that's huge. That's that's a good point. Like, uh, you know, we're, we already have the Ascend draw card. Uh, utility land that sees play in those decks, but you know mm-hmm. maybe having a memorial to genius and like the bant strat in the bant versions of that deck is going to be really strong. Yeah, that's my that's my thought on these. I think it's tough to give yeah. them a rating because it, it it definitely varies depending on which which card it is. Um, I think the better ones are definitely going to be probably the green one and the blue one. But yeah, um, probably yeah, it just depends on the the strategy that you're trying to implement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I can see stuff like Memorial to Folly in, in like, getting back, like, Chupacabras and things like that. Like, that can be decent. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Just pretty good um, options. Um, yeah. But they're never going to be, like, breaking, and you're never going to run more than, like, one or two in a deck, because coming into play tapped is a real cost. True, true. And and not having the land type is can be a real cost in this format as well, so... <laughs> yes, yeah. All right, and then the last card that we've got is... Oh man, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna butcher this one too. Uh, <laughs> Zalfarin Void. Zalfarin Void. So this is the colorless. Comes into play untapped. Produces a colorless m- mana. Um, when it comes into play, you scry one. So this is the scry land that we kind of like mentioned ear- a bit earlier. My advice to players is to make sure that you know what you're looking for when you decide to use this as your land drop. Don't just jam it as soon as you draw it or on turn one. Because often that you, you you're not really gonna know what you're gonna be looking for. So you know, it's it's definitely okay to play on turn one if you are desperately digging for like more lands or something like that, or yeah. if you are completely flooded and need early plays, you can play it early as well. But generally, I would lean towards waiting as long as possible before playing your um, your void. But I do think it's a good card, and any any deck that has just kind of a solid mana base on its own and doesn't need any help and can afford to play a few utility uh lands you know if you if you've got the scavenger grounds that you need already this the the downside that this card has going for it is it's probably not going to be as good as a lot of the deserts that we have access to right now which are just going to be excellent utility lands primarily Um, scavenging grounds i think yeah i think scavenger grounds is definitely like the biggest one but you know there's there's definitely scenarios where i could see winning this card so yeah i think it's a little tough um because like the kinds of decks that could afford to run this would tend to be like monocolored decks but right now those decks are mostly existing because they're running a card that costs triple of its color and you can't really you're not going to run zelfer and void in your 
uh, Goblin Chain Chain Whirler deck, and you're not going <laughs> to run it in your Benelish Marshall deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This seems like a card that's probably going to see more play in older formats. Any deck that has an all-colorless mana base, like an Eldrazi-based deck, might find space for one or two of these in there. You know, like, you, you get to pick and choose from your colorless utility lands and stuff like Eldrazi Tron, and this might just be better than, than some of the stuff they're doing. Like, a scry is no joke. Uh, one A free scry is, is really good. And that's that's where I would see these a little more. I, I'm having a hard time picturing the standard deck that you could really afford to do this in. Um, yeah, same. So, yeah. Cool. Well, um, that's... Yeah. Uh, that's a wrap. That's, that's, that's all the cards that we deemed uh, worthy to talk about for Constructed. So, Yeah, and um, I'm sure we missed one of your favorites, and we're very sorry for that. Um, <laughs> but if you yeah. you know, if you know, join the Patreon and uh, come hang out in the Discord, then you can yell at us all you like. Absolutely. Before we go, I want to mention a little bit more of this white-blue flash deck, because it is it is beautiful and okay. you, you need to see this um so this is in the 50 lists uh by hecate ball hecate ball but like you don't really think about which cards are historic but this guy clearly did so he's got you know the four raf cap raf capitions four lyra dawnbringers but walking ballista is also historic so you can cast that as an instant um, there's a Gideon of the Trials in here, and there's four History of Benalias, and casting those at end of turn is is quite good. Like, you don't, like, lose out on it the way you kind of lose out on a Planeswalker activation. Like, this deck is really sweet, and it makes me think that we probably are going to be seeing some of Raph Capuchin. Because, like, Walking yeah. Ballista no, is for historic. Sure. That's great. In Instant Speed Walking Ballista, Instant Speed History of Benalia... Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of these things seem seem super sweet. Um, and, and you know what? This deck the, runs four Zelfrin Voids, so maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe... Four Zelfrin Voids. Nice. You know? <laughs> this runs yeah, four Zelfrin Voids needs... and four Merfolk Trickster, the double blue 2-2. Two, two. So who knows what you can do with Zelfrin Void. Yeah, and he's got one Memorial to Genius, so, you know. Yeah. I, I think that if I played this deck to these uh, Zelfrin voids would be scavenger grounds mm -hmm. um pretty easily i think that card is just too good right now to pass up but you know if he's deemed that he can have four colorless lands in his deck then sure yeah but anyways just wanted to to point that out because this does look very cool uh and it looks like we're headed into a very sweet format so lots to get excited about uh, so you're sure. playing in atlanta this weekend yes i am playing in atlanta i'm gonna play in some standard uh -huh. We'll see what happens in Standard. Yeah. I'm still testing a lot of stuff out, but um, I'm excited about it. Cool. Yeah, well, we will be watching you on coverage. And yeah, if you guys want to find us, um, you can find us online at mtggrindcast.com. You can also find us our Patreon, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Um, any support would be greatly appreciated. Uh, we have a Discord that is you know pretty fun to hang out and we've got a lot of discussion about new standard and if you'd like to get in on that um any pledge level gets you into the discord you can also find us on twitter i am posting at at mtg underscore grindcast and collins is also on twitter at collins mullen thanks so much for listening hope that this was helpful and <laughs> have a great week all right until next time